What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the creator of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has been tested and refined through years of trial and error and experience. It has helped Skybox, along with their years of wisdom in the industry, propel themselves to the top of the industry. You got to go check these guys out. I wouldn't steer you the wrong way. If you're into wagering, they're the place to be. You need to go check out one of their packages. Just here's a little teaser for you. This is after a 30-unit week at the Masters at the beginning of this month. They're up 25 units between the Kentucky Derby and yesterday's NASCAR race. They're absolutely crushing it on NASCAR. I believe NASCAR was in Atlanta this week. Don't double-check me on that, but I've kind of become a NASCAR guy ever since we had Skybox's NASCAR guru on to explain his wisdom a couple weeks ago on the podcast. would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But you got to check these guys out. 25 units. That's some cold, hard cash you're going home with, and they'll do this for you in any sport. They've got golf. They've got baseball. You've got the NBA playoffs coming up. These guys are legit, and they're going to lead you to profit. I promise. You need to go check them out. And the best part about it is they've got – if you check on Twitter, they're at Skybox Sports Picks, all one word. So Skybox Sports Picks on Twitter, no underscore, no anything. That simple. They are posting free plays there, and they had a free play that cashed Medina – Medina at the – Medina Spirit. Medina Spirit. I don't know. I'm not a horse guy. That's for Greg to decipher at 12 to one yesterday uh, in the horse racing and they're giving out sports picks. They're also doing a promo right now that if you buy the four week package in NASCAR right now, if you go on there and you buy the four week package in NASCAR and don't profit, they're refunding you. How could you not benefit from that? You're either making money or you come out completely even like if they refund the package for you. I don't know how you could beat that. Go check these guys out. Skybox sports picks. Dot com really appreciate them being a partner of the show and they're making you guys free money as well so that seems like a plus uh so check them out skyboxsportspicks.com they've got monthly weekly uh yearly packages you could even just go with the daily pass and if you use the promo code rippy you'll get 20 percent off any package you purchase they've got one that's going to fit your price range check them out skyboxsportspicks.com podcast also brought to you by lb's university avenue across from kroger go check greg out if you are a subscriber to the Rippy Rides newsletter, you're getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks, as well as $2 off any fish in the fridge. LB's is uh, University Avenue across from Kroger is the best place in Mississippi to get meat. All you have to do is go to rippyrights.substack.com, type in your email, sign up for the newsletter right there. You get five newsletters a week and free meats. The latter part of that is probably the better end of the deal, but you can put up with my writing on the side. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you're a long-time listener of the show, you know about Greg. You know that it's the absolutely the best place. Love that he's a partner with the show. I've enjoyed getting to know Greg and talking horses with him over the, uh, the last year or so. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We've got a packed show today. It's our usual Sunday Megapod with Colin Brister. We talked a lot of different stuff, all this baseball stuff. They really changed their season with the sweep. We talk bullpen, Tim Elko's return, a lot of different stuff. It's our typical Sunday Megapod. You're going to want to buckle up for this one. A couple hours of baseball talk and then some story time at the end uh, about me being an idiot on uh, – be, me being an idiot over the weekend and almost oversleeping a wedding and then uh, meeting Carl Malone in the process. So if you make it through the baseball talk, I've got some story time at the end that will uh, hopefully entertain you a little bit. But I appreciate everyone tuning in. I've enjoyed the feedback that we've gotten from doing this show. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and it's cool to see this thing grow. So 
Enough blabbering. Let's get to it. Here we go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday night. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line is he is every Sunday is Colin Brister. This is our normal Sunday megapod where we recap mostly baseball. We'll do some NFL draft stuff, and then uh, I have some stories and complaints at the end of the show. What's up, man? Not much, not much. It seems like you uh, you're having a college Sunday, like where you just try to try to get back and get right. It seems like you're having one of those Sundays. That is a perfect way to describe it because while it's Rustin seems like a, I went to a wedding this weekend in Rustin, Louisiana, that my girlfriend was in, and I didn't know anyone, so that always hung out me. with Carl Malone. Yeah, I did. We're uh, we're best friends. Uh, I took the world's greatest photo. We will get to that. He actually probably helped me save on some damage control versus because uh, I used the shuttle. We'll get to that later in the show. But uh, yeah, you described my Sunday pretty perfectly because while Rustin doesn't seem that far off from Dallas, it's a solid four hours. So that's always a tough drive uh, on on a Sunday after uh, two nights of getting after. It. We'll put it that way. I knew when uh, we were making our podcast schedule today and I woke up to, I missed checkout by two hours. We'll have to make it five o'clock. I was like, oh, he had a night. And then if you really want to go inside baseball, uh, that kept getting pushed to, hey, 530, hey, six, hey, here's a link at 610. So oh, well. you know, it happens. I appreciate you being adaptable uh, and, and, and kind of, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, being flexible with uh, the debauchery that keeps us me from hitting record on this podcast. So, anyway, good time. We'll get to that at the end. The reason we're here is Ole Miss Web South Carolina over the weekend. I guess the reason we're here is because they exist. Like, I guess if they had to be here. But uh, they sweep, get to 13. No, no yeah, 13 and 8 in SEC play. Uh, just overall thoughts on the weekend. This seemed like a, I mean, to get right is a cliche, and I don't really like using it just because. Uh, it gets used often, and but that's exactly what this was. It seemed like in every sense for Ole Miss. I mean, this is exactly what the doctor ordered. I, you know, I guess if you want to put it like this way, it seemed like there were four or five boxes that needed to be checked with this team, and they hit every one of them easily. It's amazing what happens when you don't make an error and you walk two people in 27 innings. It's absolutely amazing what can happen. Um, I, I, I said, and, and I don't know if I can go back and, and document that I – thought this but I said all week this was a good matchup for Ole Miss because South Carolina can't hit really good pitching um, and there's not really much pitching on in the collegiate level that I think can shut Ole Miss down I mean the best arm that they've seen all year Patrick Wicklander they got after him pretty good um, so I, I just didn't know how South Carolina was going to score runs in the first two games um, and to Ole Miss's credit they didn't I mean they, they got the one run off of Derek Diamond um, in the first game and you know, Ole Miss was able to – I didn't think the offense was particularly good on Friday night, but it, it did enough. I mean, once once they got up five to nothing, the game was over. Taylor Broadway and Gunnar Hoagland were going to make sure of that. Um, so, you know, it, and then on Saturday, man, it was the it was the best day of baseball they played all year um, outside of Arlington, Texas. I mean, that the way they were able to pitch, they, they – I think Walt, one hitter and one, one hitter in 18 innings of baseball. I mean, D D Doug Nikhazy was dominant with really not, you know, his best stuff for the second week in a row. Um, you know, I think he had probably his B stuff. It was a little better than against LSU, but it still wasn't, you know, it wasn't what he had in Starkville. Um, but he competes at such a high level that, that just, you know, allows you to 
be able to, as long as the offense shows up, you're going to win the baseball game. Um, and then I think the last game was the most impressive one of the weekend for me, frankly. I mean, you, you have Drew McDaniel on the mound who just doesn't have it. Um, and you're facing a guy, Will Sanders, that's their best pitcher. He's, he's 92 or 95, really tall kid. So the perceived velocity is probably going to be closer to 94 to 97. You get down three to nothing, and man, you, at that point, you could just said, you know, like we, we had a good weekend, two and one, not bad. No, this kid's, you know, that offense is re- relentless, man. And uh, able to battle back, take the league. Jack Doherty um, has a performance, frankly, of the year. Tim Elko gets in at bat. Um, and then Broadway closes out the third game of the weekend. I mean, it, it, it was one of the more impressive series that I've seen Ole Miss baseball. Is After playing one of the worst series I've seen Ole Miss baseball play in a long time, this was one of the best they've played in a long time. Yeah, I thought it was maybe their best uh, series of the year. I mean, I don't know. They look pretty damn good in Arlington, but that's kind of a different setting. You're playing a round-robin deal, and that was also a long time ago. It's certainly sure. uh, about as dominant as they've looked in SEC play that I could really remember because – I don't know. I mean, they obviously they were pretty good the first two weekends. Uh, Auburn was pretty solid. I don't know. Where do you rank this? I put it top. Put it top. Uh, yeah, I put it behind the series in Arlington, Texas. Um, I, I mean, just because I, I don't really believe in South Carolina um, as far as what they can do from a postseason, really rest of the SEC standpoint. Um, and those teams in Arlington, I mean, I can make a case after this weekend that all three of them should be regional hosts and that two of them should be national seeds. So I, I would put it second just considering the quality of competition. Um, but if you're talking about how well – like, like that's two different discussions. Like, which one is the more impressive weekend? Um, the one in Arlington, where did they play the best? I can oh, yes. make it – yeah, I can make an argument it was this. Uh, this this was – yeah, that, that actually, that's exactly what I did. I would say the more impressive weekend was the first one, but they played the best in this weekend. Yeah, and the, South Carolina, as we kind of previewed, like you mentioned earlier in the top and, – and towards the top of what you just got done saying – it's like they pitch it really well, and they don't hit very good pitching. And they didn't – they definitely lived up to the latter part of that, but their pitching did not live up. Their bullpen was okay. Their starting pitching, uh, kind of given what they had done before that, was was really bad. And that's a credit to Ole Miss. Yeah. Kind of making excuses. Like Ole Miss induced a lot of that. But that's certainly what failed the Gamecocks this weekend. Sure. And, but that's that to me is why Ole Miss has a real good shot to do something special this year is because I – and I, I mean this, and I'm including Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker in this. I don't think there's a pitching staff in the country that can shut this offense down over a three-game series. I just don't. Um, you know, Labus has the one good game against uh, against them. But over the course of three games, man, there are very few teams, if any, and I don't think there's any that can shut Ole Miss down. Um, and, and I didn't think South Carolina coming in with three right-handed pitchers that, you know, none of them – look, all three of them have, you know, are, are probably going to be top five-round picks, but none of them do anything special. Um you know, so I, I didn't think there was really any way that they would all three uh, or even two of the three would hold Ole Miss down. And credit to Ole Miss, they, none of them were held down. Uh, none of them held Ole Miss down. They, they were – they got after – I mean, Jordan probably pitched the, – the Saturday guy probably pitched the best game of the weekend. Uh, but even he goes five innings and gives up four runs. I mean, it – South Carolina was not good on the mound. But, yeah, like you said, a lot of that is, is due in fact to they're facing one of, if not the best offense in the country. And even with this team's struggles over the last month, and really at any time they've had any sort of skid, offense hasn't been a consistent issue. No. They had some bad games. Yeah, sure. Um, and they had <laughs> kind of a stretch there um, where they weren't playing well towards the end of that ULM series and then into La Tech and Arkansas where they had three, four games where – or excuse me, that would have been Auburn, not Arkansas. I misspoke there. 
where they what they lose the Sunday game eight three, they lose thirteen to one in Ruston, and they win a one nothing game on Friday. That's really the only kind of like yeah. three ish game stretch, four game stretch that I remember the offense struggling at all. Outside of that, even with the I mean, hell, they lost their best hitter and didn't miss a beat. Yeah, they've gotten better since then. Um, Which is never the so, problem. And it was it, we'll get to this in a minute, but, like, it, it was all about can they get outs when their starters leave the game. Yeah, they've had a little bit of trouble supporting Hoagland with run support on some Fridays, but that hasn't been an issue the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah. after that, it, it's really just been kind of one thing with this team. How do they get outs after their starter leaves the game? And that's kind of what changed this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what changed this weekend. I went and figured it out that – Bullpen pitched 9.1 innings, had a .93 ERA and a .31 whip. Like, that'll play. Um, you know, like, we talked – what's funny about this bullpen, um, we talked about it, and I don't think this was on purpose, and I don't think this means anything going forward, but Wes Burton was really good um, for Ole Miss against LSU, and frankly, there was not an opportunity to get Wes Burton into the game. I mean, he was getting loose uh, when Jack was, was there, and he would have been the next guy, but – I mean, the kid was dealing there. They couldn't take him out of the game. And then, you know, you don't want to throw him in the in the game where you're up, you know, sit, uh, four runs in the eighth and the game two. And then, you know, Diamond's probably the guy that um, they wanted to see in the role they put him in. So, so there really was an opportunity for us, Burton, who I think they consider one of their top bullpen arms to get into the game. That That's how good their starters were and how little their bullpen struggled this weekend. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I think – the only run the entire bullpen the bullpen allowed the entire weekend was the first batter it faced. And it was the first diamond. pitch. I think it was the first pitch diamond threw. I think he felt well. He fell behind one zero, and it was the second okay. one that he kind of grew right. Whatever your point, point well stated. But that's the only that's the only run they the bullpen gave it the whole weekend without. With, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have. No, it. you're right. Completely right. In and out, but that, that that'll hunt over three games and what yeah. you cover. Oh, you said it. How many innings did they come? Nine, not nine point one. Yeah, uh, yeah. You'll take that. Nine point two. Excuse me. Nine point two. Well, in, I guess this may be a weird way to look at it. So correct me if I'm completely off base. But out of the twenty-seven innings or twenty-five or whatever it is, depending on if you're home in the road, Ole Miss is going to have to you know get through in a weekend pitching-wise, and the amount of outs they're going to collect. They've always lost at least one game solely because of their bullpen. And over the last month, it's kind of been two. And there have been games where the starter has been bad. But when you look up and it's nine innings, I mean, you throw nine scores innings for your bullpen, that's a like that's that's the total of a game. And sometimes that's yep. the difference between winning and losing a series. And here is the difference in sweeping or taking two of three. Yeah, which – and then we get into this later – was a massive distinction between winning two of three and sweeping because now you have a completely different conversation about about the postseason. Um, yeah, I mean, the bullpen was excellent, man. If they and, and I think this sounds stupid, but from a result standpoint, obviously you look at the 9.2 innings, you give up one run, you have a .31 whip. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. If they can do that every weekend, it's like they'll, they'll be pretty good. Well, they can't do that every weekend. It's just not going to happen. But I think what happened this weekend is you looked at some guys that got some things accomplished, and you're like, man, you know, that, that kid can actually play. Like, like Derek Diamond looks really good. Um, Jack Doherty was was unfreaking hittable. Uh, he doesn't give up a base runner in 3.2 innings. I mean, that's, that's insane. Um you know, Taylor Broadway was as dominant as they come. It allows one base runner over three innings, and the one base runner he allowed was a, a freaking chopper that barely got over Bench's head. I mean, it they, they weren't – I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, they were really good, and there's also reason to believe they can continue to be really good. Like, they can't – no, they're not going to have a .93 
ERA every weekend. But there are some reasons to look at this team and say, oh, that this bullpen can be – look, it's never going to be, in, 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 you know, one of the better elements of this team, but it can be one that just holds you down and is completely fine. And that's, frankly, all Ole Miss, is need, Ole Miss needs. They don't need to be dominant in the bullpen. They don't really need to be good. They just can't be an abject failure like they were the past four weeks. Agree. And, you know, I, I was leading into a point here, so bear with me, but you want to hear – Do you know how many comments all the way through? Uh, wait, what was that question? Just a guess. A pitch that uh, the amount of pitches Broadway threw uh, each uh, the weekend. Over the weekend. Friday was fifteen. Saturday, first game, I believe, was fifteen again. I will, I will go forty-five. Yeah, he went fifteen, fifteen, fifteen. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's kind of weird. But the reason I was looking into that uh, as I was kind of looking at stuff before we started doing this podcast was. The fact that, you know, we talked about when after Broadway had the bad outing last, I guess that was game one against LSU. Yeah, the kid hit the three-run shot and it kind of collapsed as we were doing that live. The reason I bring that up is to say, you know, we talk about how we, – we talked about that night, how it's, it's okay that Taylor Broadway had a bad day. It's, it's, it's unfair to ask him to be perfect every time, particularly when he's being brought in in situations that are imperfect just because of the, the ineptitude of the bullpen around him. When other guys pitch better, it makes Taylor Broadway's job a hell of a lot easier. He was able to appear all three days and throw 15 pitches each time as opposed to, oh, shit, please try to get 10 outs here because we don't know what else we can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of that, you give a lot of credit to Derek Diamond. You give a lot of credit to Jack Doherty. I thought it was a little weird that Mike didn't let Diamond finish. Um, and, and I'll get into why I think he did it. Um, I thought Diamond should have – or I would have tried to let Diamond finish the game on Friday night. I also have not paid $1 million to coach this baseball team, and I don't know the pulse of this team and what they're at from a mental standpoint. And when you've lost as many Friday night games in a row, I have a hard time blaming him um, for just saying, no, I'm going to take this win, and I'm not going to – I'm not screwing around. I have a hard time blaming that. The people got on to him. I was like, why are you using there? It's like, well – Look, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I have a hard time blaming the guy that's 6-10 and 10 in his last 16 Friday night SEC games. Then you look at Saturday, uh, the first game, it's like, well, you're bringing him in down four runs again. It's like, well, they haven't won a series in a month and a half. And if you bring him in, you're going to win the series because they're not going to score four runs off this cat. Um, and then he did. So, so he brings him in. And then and then people get pissed off. It's like, well, how do you bring him back on, on you know, eight hours rest or whatever it was after it was like well he threw 15 low stress pitches and I was one of the ones that was critical of what happened at Alabama uh, because I thought those were a little bit more high stress pitches but like bringing him back on Saturday night was no issue after what he had to deal with Saturday afternoon because frankly uh, those were about as low stress of pitches you you can throw because South Carolina had no prayer. I agree with that. I thought it was a little interesting, too, and that was actually something I noticed as I was uh, kind of fidgeting with my phone at this rehearsal dinner watching uh, – excuse me, depending on who's listening, just uh, keeping up with the game loosely. Uh, I thought that was strange, too. Also, with the doubleheader going tomorrow, I was like, really, you're going to use him in a four-run game? But kind of the uh, piggybacking off the case you just made as well – one, Donovan was at 42 pitches, whatever. Sure. Not absolutely anything earth-shattering. He certainly was not losing it. I mean, he allows the home run, and there was a ground out mixed in somewhere, but it was strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Like, he, he was dealing. Yeah. But the thing with Diamond is it's a 7-3 to three game. And obviously, it's time to get him out before you, like, relinquish the lead or anything. But I guess my point in saying that is 
He's given up so many inopportune home runs, and things have gotten out of control so quickly with him. I didn't mind Mike just saying, no, we're not messing around with this here. It also is probably a confidence boost that he, had got, he gave two serviceable innings and did what his job is That's going to do going forward uh, and bridge the game to Broadway. Why mess around with the third inning when you don't have to? One, with the guy that's still kind of coming back from a tough start to the year. Uh, and two, like I mentioned, it can go bad in a hurry with him. So why would you, you know, want to put Broadway in at 7-6 if you don't have to or something like that? And it can happen quicker than you think. Um, yeah, the, the first part I, I was something I said to a friend of mine. It's like you put Derek Diamond out there because, you first of all, that was a situation that was kind of a low-stress situation. You need two innings to get it to Broadway. Um, and you got him some confidence. You throw him out there and let – South Carolina hit a single and a double. Well, you now you've ruined some confidence, that kid that uh, – that look, you know, yes, he had a great outing against LSU as a starter. He has not had great outings as a member of the bullpen yet. Um, he's had two opportunities, and he had one against Little Rock where he was fine, but his first bullpen outing was in Starville, and they shelled him. So it was important for him to walk off that mound with some confidence that, hey, I can get, get outs in a bullpen setting because I do think it's two different mindsets as much as some people want to disagree with that. I do think it's two different mindsets as a starter and as a bullpen guy. And that was the – he had the ability to walk off the mound and say, hey, I threw the ball pretty well. I gave up one hit and one walk over two innings. Um, I can do this. And, and I do think that was important. And, you know, obviously, you know, you put Taylor Broadway on the mound, you're not going to lose a baseball game, especially up five to one. Um, so, you know, he needed three outs to not give up four runs. And I'm going to say the odds of him uh, accomplishing that were astronomical. So I, I have very little – look, again, I and this is where, like, I can disagree with Mike and, like, understand what he's doing. I probably would have left Diamond in there, but I can completely understand the rationale of not. Yeah, I, I think that's a perfect way to surmise it. And honestly, is there anything to this? You're, I've deferred to you here in terms of mindsets that guys have. Is there anything to the fact that he's also leaving the game and it's, he's not like putting it, he's not putting his successor in a bad spot or any increased stress to his success? Is there anything to that effect? Sure. And, and I, I think it's important because I think that's the role they want to use him in, right? Like Derek Diamond leaves the mound knowing, hey, if they come to me and say, hey, I need six outs so I can give it to Broadway, well, I've done it before. I've, I've done exactly what they've asked me to do before. Um, and I think that's important. I think that plays into confidence. I think that plays into the mindset that they're going to need him to have out of the bullpen. Because I, I do think – I think this team's best course going forward is Derek Diamond being in the bullpen. And that's not necessarily because Drew McDaniel's pitch great. It's not. It's just that I think Drew McDaniel provides you – well, let's, let's say this. I think you're going to get relatively the same results out of Drew McDaniel and, and Derek Diamond as the third starter. I think Derek Diamond will give you much more value as a bullpen arm than Drew McDaniel will. Absolutely. I, I agree with that as well because it, it, it's kind of back to that theory that I've had for a couple of months. It's like Mike didn't seem to know how to use McDaniel. It's like, okay, like it's, it's one thing one day and it's a completely different situation the next to where – uh, I guess just because of Diamond stuff and, and the strikeout ability, it, it seems like he, his role, the way you use him is a little more defined to where McDaniel, you just didn't really knew, know what you had yet. Does that make any sense at all? Sure, like, absolutely. How to absolutely. use him, not what you had. Obviously, they know about the kid. Just kind of what's the best way to use him if he's not a starter to where Diamond, that seems pretty simple. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's obvious that, that Derek Diamond can be a high leverage guy at the back end of the bullpen that can get you to Taylor Broadway. And this team, frankly, and this, I've thought this for a while, but they've just not had the ability to do it. Because, and this is why I advocated for burning the bridge and just going straight to 
Taylor Broadway and then winning games that you have the lead in the seventh inning, just put him in and win the game. If this team is able to bridge games to Taylor Broadway where he's able to impact three games a weekend or two games a weekend, uh, this, this this thing just got a lot, lot more real. Because if he's if he's able to impact more than one game a weekend, more than two games a weekend in some cases, it's going to be real tough with the length that Gunner and Doug usually provide you. Sure, and I think uh, even a better way to to kind of like underscore what you're talking about just there, for the last three weeks, we've been – longer than that, it's probably five or six at this point, we've kind of been arguing that they should stop trying, and then it just right. naturally fell into their lap. Yeah, sure. And, you know, obviously they had to go to somebody else when, uh, you know, McDaniel has to come out of the game. You had to try somebody else, and you found something in Jack Doherty, who was awesome. Um, and, and look, I sat right behind home plate last night and I don't, I don't mean to sound like obnoxious when I say that, but like, I can, I can see arm side run. I can see movement on fastballs. I can see like, you know, if the ball's rising or whatever, spin rate, that type, not really spin rate, but I can kind of see with fastballs jumping on hitters that that stuff's real. And the track man data supports that it's real, man. So if, if he's able to throw his off speed into the strike, like this isn't, and I had somebody say this to me the other day. It's like, well, do you think he's having a lot of success because, you know, the scouting report's not on him, out on him? I was like, yeah, that may happen some, but like you look at the analytical stuff, like this stuff has a high spin rate. This stuff is 92 to 93 miles an hour. It plays. Um, and, you know, I don't think a scouting report's going to be what gets Jack Doherty hit. I, I think this kid may just be legit good. And I know that's insane to say. He's thrown nine innings in his career and was redshirted up until two and a half weeks ago. But I'm telling you, that that stuff, it looks real and it looks like it's going to be able to get SEC hitters out at a pretty high level. That last part was the part I probably agree with the most. It's like the scouting report thing, maybe it comes to affect so, some guys, but like the way he was collecting outs beforehand, there wasn't a ton of like good fortune and cheap outs in there. Like all that stuff from the time he set on the field, it was that little rock where they threw him finally. I can't remember which midweek game it was. Austin P I believe. Yeah. I think you're, I think that's exactly right. I was, uh, I was going too far a week too far ahead, but like from the time he started throwing, you know, 93, 94, sometimes in that midweek game, you know, on both sides of the plates, like that'll get anyone out. Like the, the scouting report be damned. Uh, there, there was nothing cheap about what he was doing and there was nothing fortunate about what he was doing. And I've kind of felt that way about just about every outing. Like there's not there, like, I guess the antithesis, antithesis of this would be, wow, that was a tongue twister was <laughs> the diamond start against Alabama and Auburn where it's like, yeah, he went six innings. He's pretty good, but there was a lot of good fortune in there to where that's, sure. the, that's the opposite, I guess, of what I'm trying to articulate here. None of that's been cheap. And man, is that a huge development for Ole Miss? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a guy that, man, and I've said this for a while. People have talked about how bad this bullpen is, and it, frankly, it has been. It's, you know, it's not been a secret, but it didn't take a whole heck of a lot to make this bullpen where it needs to be. You don't – this is something that, especially this year with guys like Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy, man, you don't have to be that deep in the bullpen. You just got to have four or five dudes, really just four, that you can count on and maybe one or two that can pitch, you know, if you're behind five to two or something and not let the game get out of hand. This, there, this, there's a myth out there that you've just got to have a, an extraordinarily deep bullpen. It's like, no, nah, if you got three or four dudes that you can count on, you can figure it out from there, especially with this starting pitching. I agree. And I think part of what played into that narrative you're talking about, too, was the belief that this thing was going to be that deep going into the season. Sure. It hasn't turned out to be that way. 
clearly. And it's been kind of some unlikely culprits, but I agree. You don't need it. I just think people were so shocked by what you thought was the strength of this team would be actually turned out to be its biggest weakness for its, you know, worst stretch of play of the year. And honest, honestly, at some points, it was kind of the, from the wins and loss standpoint, I mean, it was some of the worst in Mike Bianco's tenure. I mean, it was the first time he got four SEC series in a row since 2002. So like it was, it was bad. And I think that's probably the, the shock uh, element of it. But like you mentioned, look, they'll take what the combination of Doherty, Broadway, Myers, and Diamond gave them to battle every single week, that version of it, and they would have a chance against anyone in the country. Yeah, and especially, you know, you add a, a, a Wes Burton into that mix. That's five dudes that if, you know, they can if they can get out consistently. And I thought, look, Tyler Myers looked good this weekend. The fastball was 90 to 92. It wasn't 88 to 90. That's he's able to pitch at 90 to 92 with the, you know, he's got a pretty decent spin rate on his fastball. Um, he's gonna be effective. I thought he was really good in his inning. And I think frankly, uh, he would have closed out South Carolina with a little issue, but I don't blame Mike for doing what he did and winning that series. Um, yeah, if you've got three or four dudes, man, and it appears that they do for right now. Um, and I will say this, too. Look, I, I was as frustrated as anybody over the four-game series. You're about to play another team in Texas A&M that hits worse than South Carolina, and that's hard to do. You're going to play a Georgia team that doesn't really hit well. Now, Vanderbilt's going to stroke it. Um, they're they're going to hit. But you play three teams in Florida, Mississippi State, and, and Arkansas that pretty good ball clubs. Two of them are going to be nas- national seeds. Um, you know, it's – Yes, the bullpen didn't pitch well, but you have to factor in that, hey, this competition is going to get a little bit lighter over the next two – well, two of the next three weeks too. Well, if you're doing a a ranking of the top teams in the SEC, you could argue they played three of the top five. Sure. Yeah, easy. Easily. I mean, it wasn't – I mean, I'm throwing Tennessee in there as well, obviously, because they didn't play them and they didn't play Vanderbilt in that stretch. But, like, I mean, State, Arkansas – I guess – I mean, is Florida the fifth? I don't know. Well, they just took a series from Vanderbilt. So, that'll help. That actually just happened as, we, as we're recording this. That's uh, that's crazy. And back ended it. You lose to Rocker, you beat Lighter, and then you beat whoever hey. the hell they threw on Sunday. All right. Can I can I get like a 60 – I don't even need six seconds. Can I get like a 45-second Lighter rant? You go ahead. All right. Um, so, like, the thing that bothers me about Lighter that's been talked about, that hasn't been talked about, is like, yeah, he's really good. But like, what separates Jack Leiter from Casey Mize? What separates Jack Leiter from Alex Lang? Like, there's been a lot of really good arms that have come through this league. And for some reason, we just acted like this kid was otherworldly and that the SEC had never seen anything. So I kind of find it funny that two weekends in a row, he's just gotten, he's gotten assaulted out on the mound by Mississippi State and Florida. It, it, I'm, I, again, I needed 45 seconds, but it's just kind of funny to me that, like, we pretended this kid was the next coming of Jesus Christ, whereas the SEC has, you know, they, they've, they've seen arms that are really good before. And, and it, it's kind of funny to me that, you know, his ERA is kind of like three now in SEC games. I have a counter to that, uh, or a theory. I'll put it that way. So, okay. it was the beginning of the year is where this hype train started rolling. Sure. And the last time we had a full college baseball season – like, to me, the superstar of the end of the 2019 season and the postseason was Kumar sure. Rocker. The way he pitched sure. the postseason, uh, was it Duke? I couldn't remember. Who, yeah, he threw the no-hitter, a perfect game against Duke, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, he, and he's such a fun player to watch pitch. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about, like, the health of college baseball and it growing and, and having sure. likable stars with Kumar Rocker at the top of the list. I think what it was is there was so much hype around it, Kumar Rocker and him being must-see TV 
and him being the guy that, like, you want to go see pitch. I like watching the guy pitch. I don't give a damn about Vanderbilt baseball. Obviously, I like the sport as a whole. But, like, he's a fun guy to watch pitch. And you have this guy behind him that started the year with the no-hitter and then the seven innings after that. Uh, I guess that was an SEC play. But yeah. like, you get my point. He's pitching better than this kind of all-worldly superstar. And so I think he kind of – the legend of Jack Leiter kind of grew out of that, if that makes sense. It's like, okay, they no. have this horse on Fridays, and this kid behind him is pitched even better. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. But where are those people that deemed him the second coming of Christ when he gets his brains beat in at Florida Saturday? Like are those, you those people in 20 to 20, 2021 to admit they're wrong on something? Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> but I, I get your point. But, yeah, I mean, dude, I was getting the people that, uh, that were saying they're wrong. Uh, one, are probably not as dialed in as uh, they, sure. some might, they might want them to think. And that's what I think – there's a whole social media era of collective group thing. Everyone just hops on a storyline, and that's what it becomes. And I think that was a little bit of there, too. But, yeah, I would say asking them to be wrong – to admit they're wrong is a futile exercise. I mean, in this I, I went in and figured it up. Ole Miss is better uh, starting pitching-wise than Vanderbilt in SEC play on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But, you know, no, but I promise you that won't get mentioned when Vanderbilt comes to Oxford. I was about to say that. If you say that because of kind of the, you know, I hate when people say narrative is like just kind of insinuating that something isn't true because the narrative is just means a storyline. Like something can be true. In this case, it's kind of an untrue thing. But uh, like if, if because of like kind of the general narrative and, and the perception of it, if you said that, you probably get roasted. But it, statistically, it checks out. <laughs> oh, whatever. It just, I, and look, I'm not. I'm not objective about Vanderbilt. I dislike Vanderbilt. So, you know, maybe I've taken it a little too far, but it just has annoyed me. It's like the SEC has seen really, really good pitchers before, you know. Even Kumar. Like, Kumar's great. Like, that, Kumar's not that much more special than Casey Mize to me. You know, Casey Mize was awesome, too. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of bothered me. I mean, go down the list. Alex Lang, A.J. Puck, Puke, whatever yeah. his name was at Florida. I mean, they've got dudes. Casey Mize. I mean – I mean, hell, a and had a couple of dudes that were really good. Doug Saxis. Yeah, Lacey. Yeah, Lacey. I mean, yeah, you go down the list, they've had good pitching. I agree. I just think that, you know, the, the no-hitters and the flash and being the guy behind Kumar Rocker and pitching better than them, uh, I think that's where that legend kind of took shape. Um, let's, hit some, let's hit some high points of each game because we kind of covered a, a variety of different topics over sure. here in the last 15, 20 minutes or so. Uh, starting with game one, quite – I mean, as, as usual uh, – I'm blanking. Gunnar Hoagland. I couldn't think of the Ole Miss's Friday Night Sky's name for half a second. If that shows you how my day is gone, was as good as ever. Goes six innings. He allows one hit. Was awesome. I uh, probably on again. I wasn't locked in. I was listening to a lot of no. Uh, they may have mentioned on the on the uh, broadcast. Probably on a pitch count. No, no, it wasn't on a pitch count. I can tell you what happened. Um, his last inning, he was 87 to 89, and Mike said, "No, sir." Because <laughs> like, you look at it on paper, and you—I was looking at, it, thinking at it as I'm eating this dinner, uh, this rehearsal dinner. I was like, "Oh, it's 73 pitches. Like maybe they're just not because he did miss the start, right? Like it hasn't been in his quote-unquote normal routine over the last 14 days. 73 pitches, and as I guess you mentioned, because you were more plugged in than me all weekend, and particularly on uh, Friday night. Uh, sounds like the velocity dipped, and that was it. But I just found it odd on the surface that he's dealing one hit over six innings, particularly with the way Ole Miss's bullpen has performed, and they didn't hesitate that he didn't start the inning. I mean, he didn't go back yeah. out to seven. Um, he was 87 to 89, and I, and I was watching. I mean, I was there, so I see him throw the 89-mile-hour fastball that strikes him out, and he, like, walks in, and he, like, you know, he, he normally kind of goes off to the side when he's going to go back out. I'm sure in his mind, hey, I'm going to go back out. 
And I kind of, I think I saw Mike walk up to him and it did look like Gunner was real happy, but it was like, yeah, I'm not letting my Friday night ace continue to throw 87 mile an hour fastballs up there. It's like, we're going to get you to sit, especially with a five to one lead. Now you got, you got to take that dude out. It's been out for two weeks uh, or for a week. Just get him ready for the rest of the year because you can't do what you want to do uh, without Gunnar Hoagland. So, I thought Mike played it as, as perfectly. Like, I, I mean, I think I even said it. I said, I get him out. You can't watch him throw the baseball 86 to 88 miles an hour and feel comfortable. So, uh, I don't. there was – Mike said in the post game, there was no pitch count. But uh, you can't watch your starter or your Friday night ace that's going to be a top seven or eight pick throw 88 miles an hour and, and feel comfortable about it. Sure. The second part of what I was going to ask you too is, is do you make anything of that or is that just a product no. not getting out of your tune and being on the shelf? I mean, it wasn't a long period of time. He missed one start, but like he, he was sitting when it, at times where he would normally pitch. Do you make anything of that long? No, no. Find out of that? No, I, I don't. And I'll tell you why. Uh, he had to sit for a while uh, from a review and almost scored, I think right before he came out. Um, he had to sit for a while. So, so, no, I, I don't make anything of it. I think he's fine. I think he just got tired, maybe got a little stiff. No, I, I think he was I think he's completely fine. I think just the velocity dip because he was a little tired. And that's a real thing as well. When sure. you get through long innings, particularly the later games you go, I, the later in games you get, which made Doug's game at Mississippi State just all the more stupid because Ole Miss yeah. was assaulting them that day. Offensively, you had the reviews. There were some long innings, and he just came back out every single time and was sharp as ever. That was so wild. Yeah. Yeah, it was he was awesome, but yeah, that that's what it was. I, I I have zero doubt that on Friday night in College Station, gonna gonna hope they'll take the ball. And you did exactly offensively in this game what you what you wanted to do. You scored two runs in the first inning, you battle, and you continue to slowly build on it for the rest of the game. And you know it gets to a certain point where that's kind of plenty for your guy. Yeah, when when Gunnar Hoagland's up five to one, game's over. Sorry, this is what it is. Like when Ole Miss got up five nothing, and I was like, I. I can leave. I can go to the square now because uh, between Hoagland and Broadway, this this joker's over. Yeah, it was. And you come back with three runs in the fourth inning. Oh, and it was a Gonzalez single, bench single, and then a – no, that was it. You got the three runs in the fourth off of that. They, uh, they, you know, for a team that's kind of lived off the long ball for a little bit, at least in the recent stretch where they haven't played well, uh, they didn't have a home run in this game. It was all kind of, you know, base-to-base -base and methodical and grounding out pretty good at bats. Um, you know, it, Thomas Farr was okay, I thought, sure. for Oregon, I, for South Carolina. But, uh, you know, he, he was definitely overwhelmed by that offense. I mean, he, sure. he had 112 pitches over five innings. Yeah, he, he didn't locate well. Five, five walks as well. He was kind of all over the yeah. place. Yeah, he didn't locate well. Um, and you've, you've got to locate well against Ole Miss if you're having any success. So, yeah, not great for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, the offense was good. They, they were able to get after him. Then they bring in Gilreath, who actually kind of threw the ball pretty well. That kid that came uh, in behind him was really good. He didn't yeah, walk Gil anybody. I only think he allowed like two hits. Yeah, Gilreath was pretty good. Um, yeah, I, the offense was fine. I, I didn't necessarily think they played well. Um, they had some balls. I mean, you know, they, they they score the two runs in the first inning, but if, if Wimmer catches a ball that Justin Bench hits, they turn a 4-6-3 double play and they don't score the second run. And then, you know, who knows after that. Um, I, I didn't necessarily think they were bad. I didn't think they were good. I think they were just kind of nondescript. And, you know, you score three or four for Gunner, you're going to win most nights. And, and thankfully for, for Ole Miss fans, they did that night. They scored, I guess, five. But, yeah, usually you, you score any more than three and Gunner's on the mound, you're going to win that game. 
Yep, and then the same same deal in game two. I know Doug allows the solo home run. What was that in the second inning to the Burgess guy? Yeah, that ball's crushed. That was that was. And I said, you know, Doug doesn't get behind in a lot of counts like you mentioned, and he gets behind there and paid for it. And then, but Bench immediately makes up with it. Uh, and then you get, I think, the kid walked in a run in the he second. Did. And then the Dunhurst home run really kind of – that gets it to 4-1, and you're feeling pretty good about your chances with Doug on the mound despite not having his best stuff. But still kind of – I mean, was still getting guys out and never looked like he didn't have control. I thought the Dunhurst at bat was a really good one because if I'm not mistaken, he falls behind 0-2 pretty quickly, takes a couple yeah. of pitches, and then hit a pretty good pitch out there. He is the most disciplined hitter I remember uh, in an Ole Miss uniform. I mean, look, is he the best hitter? No. But, like, he's every time going to give you a quality at bat. Um, doesn't have some power, the power, you know, as a Kevin Graham or Tim Elko. Uh, but every single time it feels like he's going to give you a quality of bat. That's why his OBP is like 460 or something. Um, yeah, th- th- he's awesome, man. And I mean, that, that kid, and you talk about he's elite defensively, and, th- and that kind of gets forgotten. And I'll tell you why, and I kind of figured this out this week, people don't run on him anymore. Like, yeah, he doesn't throw guys out because when they run, they know they're going to be safe because they know if they run in any, you know, disadvantage count, they're going to be thrown out. Um, so you're talking about a guy, Dunhurst, man, that's he's elite defensively, really, really hit. I think he's going to hit even better next year. That dude's a top five pick in, in a year and a half, well, I guess a year and two months. Uh, but yeah, they did bat really on the weekend, frankly, because that, that's the that's the ball that clears the wall. You go up four to one, and it's like, all right, we're going to win this game. Then you're playing for a sweep. Because once Ole Miss got up four to one, I know South Carolina puts four runs on the board. Um, but it's not good point, about it. Yeah, at no point did I think that South Carolina was going to come back, especially when, you know, you knew Broadway could at least give you two. And I didn't think there was – at the time, I didn't really think there was going to be any much – really much doubt that, that frankly, in the case, you go seven or eight. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, and one last note on Dunhurst, it's, it's no accident that he leads the team in OBP and walks. Uh, he tries yeah. to be on 30 – I'll look it up real quick. But he's on 30 – on the year another guy I, I i it doesn't show in the on base numbers per se not that his on base numbers are are bad another guy that has a really good eye at the plate not necessarily in terms of just a complete hitter because he doesn't always give you the quality at bat that like uh like hayden dunhurst does but man jacob gonzalez is pretty useful as a leadoff yep. hitter because that guy doesn't swing at a ton of balls too and takes a lot of close pitches that are called balls more often than not he, 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 he cr- out to me with that he cracks me up because you're right he has a really good eye at the plate, but my man is not bashful about swinging their first pitch fastball. Like, oh, fastballs, we are here to hit. And I love that. Because, man, you're going to get your best swings off a lot of times in oh counts. So, Jacob does a really good job of not swinging at first pitch balls, but he is attacking first pitch fastballs with a vengeance. Yep. And, and you know, I bring up – I'll bring up this to say as well, like, he's 333 with the 925 OPS – whatever however many games we are into this thing and he is a true freshman and if you watched Ole Miss play baseball in 2017 there were quite a few talented hey. freshmen on the field that really struggled with that hey what's that other true freshman hit the other true freshman is hitting wait who are you talking about now you, you just stumped me tj mccants oh yes exactly 358 986 with four home runs, 20 RBIs, 550 slugging, 436 on base. That's a guy – I mean, we talk about it. We dumped the chest. I was about to go with the whole nobody talks about it. But, yes, like exactly like you said, in 36 games, 32 starts, he's been very good as well. That's a huge piece of this offense. I think – would you say that's the most significant part of them not really missing a beat without Tim Elko? Yeah. You have not, have not had any SEC drop-off with your two true freshmen that are playing every day. 
yeah, that and Hayden Leatherwood figuring it out. Uh, yeah, um, huge as well. But and and here's the thing that people don't like, and, and I don't, I don't blame people for not doing the comparison or whatever. But remember three years ago when Tyler Keenan was there and everybody talked about how awesome he was hitting as a freshman. It's like, well, the kid playing in center field doing it doing it better, and you know that, that's hard to do. Um, that is very hard, hard to do. It's hard to be better than Tyler Keenan was as a freshman. I'll be damned. They found somebody that is. Yep. And uh, one last note. You mentioned. I thought I wrote this down as you mentioned talking about Dunhurst being the most consistent hitter. During that bad stretch of play that Ole Miss had where they lose four series in a row, you had dudes doing uncharacteristic things. Like he made an error at some point in there. And then that LSU at bat where it was a close game. Was that game two or game one? where he had, like, the weak pop out to third base. And it was probably – I think I called it his worst at bat of the season in a pretty high-leverage situation where they had a chance to tack on a couple runs. Guys that, like, don't do stuff like that were doing stuff like that during that stretch. They were pressing. You know, mostly defensively, and you didn't see any of that this weekend. No, they were pressing. Um, and, and, you know, there's no reason to press now. That's why, you know, people made a lot out of the Saturday win against LSU. And, sure, that that allows you to, you know – breathe a little bit but I thought it was important because frankly when they got down eight to one they said oh screw it let's just go play and they quit pressing and when this offense isn't pressing good luck um so yeah I think that let them get out of a rut and man it it showed this week and I know the run totals you talk about you know six five and what eight was it eight on the second game seven whatever I mean it's not an inordinate amount of runs I know you scored more runs against Arkansas really and, and Alabama and Auburn but I thought the offense had, you know, obviously you're paying pretty good pitching staff. I thought the offense had its best weekend of the year outside of Arkansas. So, uh, really, really impressive performance by that offense, man. I just they, – they did they don't swing at bad pitches. Um, you know, I, and this isn't something I want to talk about too much, but Mike Clement is – I'm frankly kind of shocked he's still here. He is one of the best hitting coaches in the country. Yeah, no arguments there. Nice man, too. I'll just add that note. Yeah, Clem's awesome. Um, yeah, I enjoyed talking to him with post games. You know, there was a while where Mike still had kids in high school and he would try yeah. to go get to their games and there'd be some Sunday games where we talked to Clem, uh, which was obviously easier on me at times for reasons we've covered a lot, but I enjoyed talking to Clem. Okay. So now here's a take I'll throw at you before we move on. I know this is basically a Kevin Graham, like that would be the other answer here, but do you think Hayden Dunhurst is the best hitter on the team? Obviously that's probably um. Elko because he hasn't been around. All right, so let me answer it. Let me answer it this way: If the bases were loaded uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning, and Ole Miss was down two to one with two outs, there is nobody else I'd rather have at the plate than Hayden Dunhurst, because I know every single time he's going to give me a quality at bat. Yeah, and the I was about to say the strikeouts, the equalizer, but actually he and Kevin Graham have the exact same amount of strikeouts. But no, it's, it's I don't know what it is, but that it's not it's strikeouts wrong. to me. It's it's that man. Look. He's. I think Kevin widens his zone a few to, a little, um, and I think there's another thing about Kevin. I think he can get a little too jumpy at off-speed pitches, and this isn't like based on stats or analytics or anything. It's just me watching with my naked eye. I think he can swing at some pitches out of the zone that he fouls off um, instead of taking for balls. I don't think Dunhurst does that. Like I think he just take the the pitches that Kevin Graham fouls off with two strikes um, that are you know curveballs out of the zone, but he stays alive on. I think Dunhurst just takes that and gets into a 2-2 count. Like, does that make sense? Um, so, I think he's got a better approach at the plate. And, and look, both of these guys are elite hitters now. Um, but I think if you made me take one, I'm taking Hayden Dunhurst. 
I think I'm probably going that way too. But man, is it close in splitting hairs? Uh, yeah. I thought you made a good point there with the way you described why it's Donhurst as well. So I don't have a ton to add off of that. Jumping just kind of forward, finish up before we get to the third game. Uh, you know, man, what can you say? About, can you say enough about Doug Nikhazy? Because you know, I was B, I was nice last week and saying he had my maybe. I think I said B minus stuff. It was yeah, it wasn't much. C minus, like it wasn't much. He is probably closer to that B range today in terms of just being on it. And it happens with everybody. I mean, when he's on it, on it, you see what you saw on Saturday in Starkville a couple weekends ago. But, man, every single time, whether he has it or not, you're getting six or seven innings, which is just remarkable. He has a way of being remarkably efficient with the way he gets guys out and how he goes in the games. Hell, I'll just go through it. I, he gets. No, let me say this real quick, though. Go ahead. He went, he went seven innings and gave up three runs against South Carolina on Saturday. It was his worst game of the year. Statistically, that was the worst game of the year. Yeah, because he'd given up three runs, which he'd only done one other time. And I actually think that was against TCU in the opener, if I'm not Yeah, I forgot about that one, the, the, the TCU game. But, yeah, other than that, worst game of the year. Worst SEC game of the year for Doug, and he was dominant. I mean, just go through it. Uh, Florida six, Arkansas five and two-thirds, and there were some things that kind of didn't help him there as well yeah. outside of his control. State nine, LSU six, South Carolina seven. And, you know, he's not pitching with his best stuff, and he had an injury inter uh, interrupt. Uh, part of his year. I mean, it's just the way he's, he's – how economical he is in, ter in terms of the way he gets guys out and still attacks hitters and, like, works his way through a game. It's hard to, like, tangibly articulate it because there's no, like, number to point to, but he just knows how to pitch. And I don't yeah. know a better way to describe it because you yeah, can have all kinds of talent in the world, but he has mastered how to pitch against the best offenses in the SEC. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. He, he knows how to pitch. Uh, he made one bad pitch, I thought, on Saturday. The, the Khalil double that brings in the second and third runs wasn't a bad pitch. Khalil got fisted and he just got it over the third baseman's head, whatever that happens. The home run was a bad pitch. I mean, he throws a 2-1 fastball. Uh, I think it was Burgess hit. I mean, Burgess hit it onto the freaking – he hit it onto old Taylor Road now. Like, just absolutely mauled it. It's like, all right, maybe don't throw that again. Uh, and then he throws that again, and old buddy hits it over the foul pole or right beside the foul pole. It's like, well, whatever. It, was a, it wasn't a good decision. That's the worst pitch he threw all day. Other than that, like, just absolutely dominant for six and two-thirds innings before he kind of blew up there at the end. And You know, a stat line, frankly, if you look at it, doesn't read like he pitched that well. I mean, seven innings, pitched three earned runs. I think he gave it like five hits or whatever. Um, but it's like, man, if you watch that, that dude for six and two-third was about as unhittable as it came. Yep. And it's been it, – he's been that way since he arrived on campus. Yep. I mean, even, you know, we talk about – I've made it like 40 minutes in the podcast without bringing up the 2019. <laughs> but, like, even when he comes in in, in relief, like it, it, Louisville where they got shellacked that year and, like, he gets in – they waited a weekend, then they insert him into the rotation. Like, he just – he's been in control from the time he's been on campus. Like, I, I seriously – there's probably one in there over the last two and a half seasons if you count, like, the COVID deal. Where, but I can't remember a start or outing that he's had where he's just looked overmatched from the start. Shit got weird in that opener against you. I know he only lasted like an inning and two thirds or whatever it was, but like he wasn't like he wasn't overwhelmed. Like even if he had a bad outing, I didn't feel like he was just completely overmatched by an opponent. No, no, there, there's not been a time he's taken the mound where no, he just got hit around. Uh, frankly, the closest that I can even really talk about other than that TCU thing where he just lost his release point uh, was Arkansas game two of the Super Regional where he gave up five earned and five innings. And it's like, well, that was the day that he only had his fastball and was having to fight his guts out. Uh, that was yeah, probably – just got was, up early in that game pretty yeah. good, didn't they? 
yeah, that was the that might have been his worst outing of his career statistically. But if you look at it from what he had to work with, it was one of the more uh, gutsier performances he's had in his career. Um, yeah, man, look, Doug's awesome, and every time, and it, and this is why, like, when people fight back about, oh, I put Doug on Friday. It's like, look, man, I love Gunnar Hoagland, love him to death. I think he's awesome. But if there's if if I gotta win a game, I'm putting Doug Nikhazy on the mound, and if I on Saturday, it's like Mike said, it's that there's no other option. You you either on Saturday or playing to win the series, or you're playing to get back even. And those two situations, I know who I want on the mound, and it's it's Doug Nikhazy. It's per yeah, I mean it's perfect. Like we kind of covered this on the pod a couple weeks ago. He's just the perfect stopper. I think that was where Ben stole your take, and I think he embraces that role as well. Um, I think he's, I, he's, he's special to watch. And, man, I don't know what – again, I don't know what his draft situation is, but you probably only got a handful of these left. Playing his way into a second-round pick or so. Yep, I would, uh, I would agree with that. So, Ole Miss finishes it off. You know, you get, a, you get a good inning from Tyler Myers, too. But, you know, he talked about bridging it to Broadway. You know, him being good and getting that kind of fairly – I think he gave up a hit, but getting through the eight – and uh, giving it to Taylor Broadway to where Broadway doesn't yeah. have to throw more pitches is, uh, you know, I mean, outs are at a premium with this bullpen right now. You can't take anything for granted. It probably gets lost and is just a footnote in the box score, but he was pretty good. Yeah, and he gave up the hit in the ninth where Mike was just trying to let him get through it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was, he was good. And I, I think Tyler Myers is okay. Um, I don't think he's elite. don't think he's great. I think he can get outs at a decent enough rate to pitch in this bullpen. Um, so it was good to see. It was good to see him have the one, two, three, eighth inning. You wish he could have finished it in the ninth, but you'll take, you'll take, look, like you said, you'll take any outs from this bullpen without, that doesn't get, doesn't allow runs. Yep. And then the game three story, like obviously offense good again, but man, Jack Doherty, the three and two thirds he gets to get it all the way to the ninth again, after things had gotten a little squirrely early for Ole Miss. Did, was it four nothing? That was the game I didn't catch. It was, it was, it was three to nothing. Did you see by chance the uh, West Clark home run? Uh, yes. Holy God. He hit that. So, you know, like under the scoreboard, it says like the University of Mississippi. Yes. He hit the University of Mississippi sign. It's harder to see that on television, too, because you just kind of see the ball disappear into the smoky uh, you know, drink flowing abyss. What you say? I wish I, I wish I could get a distance. Yeah, the can the, can look. I think Ole Miss should make special exceptions in their analytics account. Should uh, opponents distances if it's really that uh, jaw dropping. That was the only hit he had all weekend. He was like one for twelve with eight Ks, but my man's one counted for a lot. I am uh, mostly kidding too, because can you imagine what number five in the dugout would do if Ole Miss's oh, analytics account tweeted the, the the exit velocity, the launch angle, and the distance of an opponent's home run? I don't need the launch angle and the velocity. I just need to know how freaking far that ball went. Holy God. Yeah, he did. So Ole Miss falls behind. I thought it was th- th- four nothing, but it was just the three run shot. And things didn't get better for McDaniel after that. Uh, what did you think of his outing? It just looked like he, um, looked, he didn't have it, but there was also some uh, poor fortune, it seemed like, in there as well. It was, but, you know, he gives up the three run homer in the top of the top of the second. And, you know, Jack Doherty starts getting loose at that point. He's able to settle in. And, and this is where. You know, Diamond wasn't able to do this against Arkansas when they hit the home run to go up three to nothing. Uh, I think this is exactly comparable because Diamond gives up that three-run homer against Arkansas, and then he blows up, and it's 5-0 in the second inning, and you have to put Josh Mallett's in. And before you get off the field, I think it was 7-0. 
Diamond settles in. He gets two more outs. He gets out of the inning. He throws up two zeros. He gets it out in the fifth. And then, you know, he gives up the base hit and it gives up the double and then he gives up the run and you have to pull it. Um, no, Drew McDaniel did not have good stuff. And I don't think he would necessarily tell you he pitched well. But what he did do was keep Ole Miss in the baseball game. Um, well, this offense, man, four runs and in four innings on a Sunday or in game three, I should say, it's not going to get you beat. He kept them in the baseball game, and he gave you a little bit of length where you could get it to a guy like Doherty who was able to shut, shut it down for a few innings. Um, and I thought that was important. Again, no, Drew McDaniel wasn't good, but he gave you a chance to win the baseball game, which is frankly all you're really asking your Sunday guy to do. Yeah, he, I think that's a good way to put that because I think that kind of shows the resolve and the ability to recover because it really all happened in a four-batter stretch, right? He gets the strikeout to start the second. The kid doubles, single, homer, and then a walk. And after that, I think he retired eight of the next nine, and the one yeah. kid that got a hit, he immediately rolled the next guy into a double play, right? Yeah. So yeah. it really just kind of all happened in four batters. And, yeah, the stat line doesn't look great. He doesn't give you length. But that was uh, Sam Smith-esque in the sense that, like, okay, well, you give up three, four runs, it doesn't turn into eight? Let's, I mean, let's say Drew's only able to give you 2.1. Well, then, you know, you don't get to hand the ball to Broadway in the ninth. There's other bridge guys, probably West Burton. And while I believe in West Burton, it's like, are you really going to throw seven innings of scoreless relief? Um, you know, so – I thought it was important that he was able to get him into the fifth inning before having to go to the bullpen. Again, look, he wasn't great. He wasn't great last LSU. Um, and if you look at him from a statistical standpoint, his starts really aren't that much different from Diamond's starts in SEC play. But what he has done is outside of really LSU, he doesn't blow up. He keeps you in the game. And he doesn't, he doesn't freak out when things go poorly. And I, and I think that's kind of important on Sunday because, frankly, man, on Sundays, I don't necessarily think like it – on Sundays, dudes are going to hit. It's the third game of the weekend. They've kind of gotten some timing down. Like, Doug Nikhazy's numbers would be worse on Sunday, if that makes sense. So, like, the guy on Sunday is going to have to be able to be mentally tough and fight through some things. Yep, and I think a good way to articulate that is the guy he – that's a great point you made in the guy that he replaced. When Diamond was off in a bad way, it's four against Belmont, 3.1 against ULM. He has the back-to-back starts against the two Alabama schools that were okay. Four against Florida and then 1.1 against Arkansas. And, like, at, in those outings, it's, you know, five runs, five runs, five runs allowed to where, you know, like you mentioned, you know, three of them come on one swing and then he settles in after that. It does put up a couple of zeros to where Diamond just was not able to recover when things went poorly. And I think some of that was deteriorating confidence after a while. Sure. And that's why that's why I think it was important for Diamond, right? Because let's let's talk about his last two outings. Um, six innings pitched against LSU, but what happens in the first inning? You make three errors and you're down two to nothing. What happens on Friday night against South Carolina? He gives up the first or second pitch home run over the right field wall. Then he retires six of the next seven and is able to hand it to Taylor Broadway. So maybe what you're seeing from Derek Diamond is the ability to do that, and that would be so important if he's able to, to kind of recover and, and be mentally tough for this team at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, I agree. And there was a note I wanted to run by you as well when we were talking about Diamond earlier in the show, but I forgot just because I'm pretty ADD. <laughs> this is now three outings in a row. So, you know, okay, whatever. If you don't want to count Little Rock, I'll, I'll concede that to you. Hitless inning there. And then the, what he did against LSU on that short notice has been well documented. We covered it well. Just absolutely remarkable. 
and then two nails innings after he gives up a home run to start against South Carolina. This is real. And even the state outing, the first outing out of the bullpen, he wasn't good, but we talked about that. He kind of got a little bit unlucky there too. And then when your third baseman tabletops you, which is actually probably Diamond's fault, he's got to get out of the way there. And you have that embarrassing moment against, you know, 10,000 fans that hate your guts because of the logo you're wearing. Like, that's, that, that doesn't inspire confidence I'll, either to help with anything. But it's real. So I'll ask you this. What's the difference? I will say this um, real quick on that pop-up. I think what happened there, and I asked somebody about this, Diamond's an outfielder, right? He's a two-way player. Bench was really, really hurt. Like, he was just trying to catch the ball because his third baseman was hurt. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I, I think, frankly, the difference is, man, when you uh, when you kind of lose everything you worked for, you kind of just figure it out, right? Like, I, I think at some point it's like I either have to be mentally tough to be able to bounce back from things or I'm never going to pitch on this team this year. Um, because if I don't, what happens is what happened against Arkansas. Um you know, so I, I think it's it's either adapt or die, right? Like, I think that's some of it. Like, if I don't figure this out, I am not pitching on this team that is very well, you know, capable of going to the College World Series. And if I do figure it out, my stuff's good enough to get people out. Um, so I, I don't really think it's any more complicated than that. It's just really kind of adapt or die. Yeah, and so, like, his walk numbers were never insane. But as no. I've covered before, he, he issued a lot of inopportune walks. And then instead of stranding them, the guy would hit the ball over the fence. I mean, I don't have any numbers to quantify that. But I swear it seemed like one out walk, two out walk, multiple runs with him a lot more. Um, it's probably not a total coincidence that he has two walks over his last 10 innings. And that's why it's been better. No, no, absolutely not. And, you know, the thing people don't realize, it's not just the walks, right? Like, if you're walking a lot of people, it means you're getting behind 2-1. It means you're getting behind 3-1. And what happens when you're in 3-1, 2-1 counts? You throw fastballs. What happens when you throw fastballs and they know fastballs are coming? They go to the forward center. Um, so, that that was part of it. And, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's able to get ahead on hitters. I'll go in and look um, and because I'm kind of curious and see what he did from a first-pitch strike perspective. But, yeah, that's, that's the reality of it. He's getting ahead in counts now. And, you know. The, the ability to do that. I mean, I think I'm pretty – I think I'm sure that – excuse me, I think I'm correct in this. He throws – he gives up the home run, and then he comes back with a first-pitch strike. I mean, like, that's that's toughness. Like, you're not scared to go back in there because you know your, you know, your stuff's good enough to compete. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. And, frankly, look, I always – Derek Diamond's stuff was always good enough to get out. So, it was Derek Diamond's mentality that kept him from getting out. Um, and if his mentality's fixed, then, then the sky's the limit for this kid. I mean – Let's just be honest about it. The 2022 Ole Miss baseball team is not going to be successful if Derek Diamond's not in the rotation. So he, he's got to get this figured out. And, and to his credit, for the past three outings, it appears that he has. I was about to say, he's been well on his way to doing so. And I could not agree more on that last part, talking about next year's team. And so that was probably the turning point to where your confidence in this bullpen was rock bottom. You, know, you kind of think you maybe found a little something in that final game against LSU because of the way he came back and the way the bullpen held them there as we covered it. But, you know, he gives in, he gives up the home run right after the, right after Hoagland leaves. And maybe from a fan's perspective, you're thinking, ah, oh, hell, here we go again. But then exactly he after thinking. that, striking dudes out over and over again, that seems like we're at the turning point in terms of like, okay, they might have actually figured out something with this bullpen here, in my opinion. That was the thought process that I went through throughout the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about 9.1 innings and, you know, one earned run and I think three base runners. I mean, you know, um, it's elite performance by this bullpen. So, again, you're not going to do that every weekend. But, you know, 
I, I do think that you've you've found enough in this bullpen to be successful. And and look, I mean, I don't think it's any secret, Mike. And, and this sounds stupid when I say it out loud. Mike prefers dudes that throw a lot of strikes, and he's not going to play people that walk people consistently. That's why. I think Braden Forsythe hasn't gotten the innings that we probably think he should have because he's walking a person, maybe even more than a person in an inning. I mean, you talk about Wes Burton, while he's hesitant to use him is because he walks a lot of people. Now he gets out because his stuff in the zone really, really plays. Wes walks a lot of folks. Um, So I think that's one reason that Mike's been hesitant to use some certain guys is because he is going to, by God, pitch people that throw strikes. Um, and the guys that have thrown strikes have gotten assaulted in the zone. So you've kind of had to find that mix. And, and Diamond certainly appears to be a guy that's going to get in the zone and compete. And uh, that's going to, you know, give him opportunities to get back onto the field. Yep. And then let's just get to the main story of the weekend. And we covered it a little bit at the top of the podcast. But, like, Jack Doherty was the story. I mean, that was sure. – uh, I mean, how – if you're <laughs> I was about to say something. I should – I'll go halfway there. If you're Mike Bianco, uh, how close are you to getting aroused in the dugout as that's going on? <laughs> I mean, that had to be just absolute eye candy. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, you it's haven't like, seen any. When's the last time someone did that out of the bullpen? I can't think of it. Well, I mean, Sands Broadway. Yeah, yes, not named Taylor Baldwin. When's the last time that someone uh, not named Taylor well, Baldwin looks that dominant for that long? Uh, Wes Burton maybe had a good outing uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, McDaniel against Alabama. Yeah, but he's now in your rotation. And that guy's so. now in your rotation. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was awesome. Um, and South Carolina had no prayer. Like, they were making – you know, he didn't have a ton of strikeouts. Like, he had three and 3.2 innings. But, like, they're making just horrid contact. It's like they, they have no answer to this dude. He's sitting 91 to 93. And I'm telling you, there was some real arm side run on this basketball that kid threw. He's got a really good spin rate. Um, yeah, that, that stuff's real, man. And – uh He's going to give a – look, if Ole Miss is going to be successful at this point, Jack Doherty's going to be part of it. Like, I don't think that's any secret. Um, you know, the kid – the Alderman kid, I don't think that, you know, he's going to be a guy that's in your everyday lineup. Um, the other kid they ripped the red shirt off of, I think he's going to have some pinch hit opportunities, but I don't think he's going to be an everyday guy. Uh, Jack Doherty, this team is not going to be as good as they want it to be without him be, continuing to be successful. And It was a great start on Saturday night for him. Uh, yep, and another note on the Sunday game, too, is like – and this team's had this all year. One of the reasons that, I've, you know, I guess we've kind of still hopped on the train or stayed on the train that this team could be okay despite as bad as, they, as it's been at times is if they could figure out the bullpen thing, this offense is just kind of relentless, and they are never yes. out of a game with it. You've seen – I mean, how you've seen two nine and 11-run comebacks or whatever the hell the Arkansas one. Please don't – well, actually, me there, who if you're listening out there, you get my point, two absurd sure. comebacks. And so they get down 3 nothing or 4 nothing, whatever it was in that last game, 3 nothing after the home run, and respond immediately. You get two back in the bottom of the inning and then take the inning, uh, take the lead the next inning. Like, <coughs> excuse me, there's two parts of it. They just <coughs> – nothing phases them. Uh, they, they don't really get phased by being down in a big hole, and they're never out of it because of how explosive they are. Uh, and you got short on Sunday – or the game, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's a great way to put. It. Look, when that they went down three to nothing, there was no panic in that stadium. It's like, look, I've been here before, um, falling down in some third games before, and figure out a way to come back. So, yeah, it's a great sign. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a sign that 
you know, if you get into a weird situation in regional where you got to play a Monday night game against some, some, you know, taxed pitching, it's like, well, you know, you may not have a whole bunch of pitching left. This offense is going to be able to score a whole bunch of runs. Um, so, yeah, I, I think relentless is a great way to put it. I think Mike said that exact word in his post-game press conference yesterday. It's it's a relentless offense, and they're going to go after you. They make things happen with two outs. They they You can't just concede an inning uh, when there's two outs and nobody on this team because everybody with the exception of about one hitter can run one out of the ballpark. Um, and then, you're, you know, you're a double and a single away from giving up a run with this team. So, I mean, I know that's the case with every team, but the way they hit the baseball, that's really more realistic than a lot of other teams. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's tough, man, because really, you know, Baker didn't have a good weekend. But – and in Plumlee is – look, if you're going to play John Rice Plumlee, and we've both advocated for this, you're conceding that you're probably going to have a little bit of a hole in your lineup. But one through eight, man, like you better pitch it. You better bring it because, you know – Justin Bench is, or, and Kale Baker are guys that, you know, probably you would consider the, the lower end of hitters. And Justin Bench hit a ball 375 feet yesterday. Like, he's pretty good, and he's probably, of the first eight in the lineup, the seventh best one. So, like, you, you, you've got to bring it every at bat, and that wears down pitching. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And the two, the two things that stuck out to me one this weekend was the two – I don't have the numbers. I defer – deferring to you you may not either but I just assume you always have some sort of statistic <laughs> one through five was tremendous I had that in front of me I know that I didn't add it up I'm not going to try to do it on live show because people laugh at my math skills one through five in the order was tremendous and I think every RBI but one this weekend came from one through six because I think uh was it McCants that had a three RBI day whatever you you get my point um, and then they were also tremendous with two outs that really stuck out to me this weekend as well yeah, they're awesome with two outs. So, so that's what I was saying. You can't concede an inning just because there's two outs, even if there's nobody on this team. So, yeah, they were special, man. Um, this offense is really, really good. And, uh, you know, if you've got the starting pitching, look, I, I said all along that, you know, losing four weekends in a row is not good. But I do think it gave me some confidence that what I thought Ole Miss's issues were were fixable. Um, and you talk about no errors in three three games this weekend, like, a lot of the things that they were doing were fixable. And, and frankly, I'm not going to say they fixed them, but uh, there were no errors this weekend. The bullpen was really good. And it's funny how when those two things come together, you play the best series of, of you know, you, you play the best you have all year. It's kind of funny how that works. I've been adamant over and over and over again about how I just – I you know, people like analytics dudes love to uh, shit on batting average or whatever. And I don't think it's the most useful statistic. But if you're just trying to take the surface-level temperature – of a baseball team, I do kind of like looking at batting average to see okay, how many of these guys are pretty consistent. Ole Miss has – let me get this right. If, with Elko back, I'll count him now. Ole Miss has one, two, three, four, five, five hitters over 330 and seven hitting 300. Yeah, to play. Uh, that will play. play. And then it, it, you think, oh, well, you know, Ole Miss ran through the non-conference pretty well. Actually, no, they hit better – they better in, in the league. I was about to say, man, you got two guys over 370 in SEC play in Elko and McCants. Leatherwood is 339. So, if you want to count just SEC play, that would actually be eight dudes if you want to mix it in that first stat. But you've got – I'll go Elko, 375 in SEC play. McCants, 373. Dunhurst, 346. Leatherwood, 339. Graham, 337. Jacob Gonzalez, 314, and Justin Bench with just a measly 289. Like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't that's even have a bad who constantly make things happen. That's, that, that'll hunt. That's a tough lineup to get through. 
yeah yeah it's i mean it's 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 a grind man it's pretty much right now outside of baker and plumley i mean it's one through seven will light you up if you don't bring it in i mean Justin bench hit a ball 370 feet you know and and you know peyton chatney has shown the ability to run it out of the ballpark everybody in that lineup for one through seven can take you off the scoreboard and you know that that's hard to deal with uh there's not a ton of holes and look baker and plumley aren't great but i can tell you this uh, both of them are pretty disciplined at the plate. Baker and Bumley both drew big walks um, on Saturday. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about one through seven, they can really, really bang you up. And then eight and nine who aren't going to necessarily be great at the plate but aren't going to give really at bats away either. Like, you're going to have to earn it. Makes for a pretty tough time on a, on a, uh, on a pitcher. I'll say this. I don't think we're far from uh, – and then we need to talk about this because it, it was an awesome moment. I think we're far from a certain someone being a DH in this lineup. Yep, we'll get to that. I have so we actually got a question about that. I forgot to send out questions because I'm a podcast host or a request request for questions. But we got a few. So hold up there. The, uh, the last thing I'll offer with regard to the lineup, you know, I say I use batting average. They pick whatever statistic you want. I mean, in SEC play, you got five. Dudes with the 500-plus slugging percentage of Jacob Gonzalez at 488 and five dudes with the 400-plus on-base percentage. Like, pick your poison. Or pick your – it holds up throughout. Yeah, good luck. Jeez. Yeah, that's a, that, that's that, that's pretty wild stuff. Um, So, last thing I'll throw at you – I got a couple of things to throw at you, and then we'll get to some questions that I did send out as we were recording. So, we have a few of them, and I got some earlier mailbag questions earlier in the week. A um, couple more things I want to throw at you from a macro perspective before we get into the Tim Elko thing. Uh, just overall overarching takeaway from this weekend. I mean, it, it's weird. I mean, the power of a sweep. I know on a previous yep. podcast, you and I talked about how that 2016 team was not really that good, but they swept like three times in SEC play and ended up winning 18 games. This team already has three, and all of a sudden you're 13 and eight with an entirely different outlook than you had leaving yeah. Oxford uh, on you know a week ago, seven days from this moment, I guess. Yeah, and and a real chance, honestly, a real chance to sweep again next weekend. Um, Texas A&M's horrible, but yeah, I, look, you can sweep your way to a national seed, and a lot of people, and I've seen this too many places, and it's kind of starting to bother me. Um, look, I don't think it's a secret. Me and you both aren't really fans of the NCAA. Um, think they suck. Is there but, is, that, is that a group? Is that group out there? Is, is that a Facebook group? Where find me the NCAA fan? Okay, I will say this. Um, so I think both me and you both disagreed with with LSU getting a national seed over Ole Miss in 2016. They got it because they wore LSU on their jerseys, and Ole Miss wore Ole Miss on their jerseys. Other than that, wasn't really a reason for LSU to get it. Anyways, I've seen too many places when we're talking about. Uh, this team, frankly, put themselves back in a national seed discussion. You, you frankly skip the can they host or what do they have to do to host to, all right, let's talk about them as a national seed. That's what sweeping does. It's what happens when you sweep a top 15 RPI team. It's what happens. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking about this team again, and that's what a sweep does. It's, we're talking about them as a national seed. I've seen too many places where people say uh, the SEC is not going to get five national seeds. Why the hell not? Like, you know, the, the NCAA has never shot away from giving a conference too many things. They may have given the wrong team in a conference the national seed, but, like, they're not going to, on May the 28th, say, you know what, the SEC's got four, got to limit them, can't give them a fifth. I, I saw one place that, that a guy was like, well, they're not going to give the Mississippi schools, like, two national seeds. It's like, 
well, they're not going to give the Tennessee t- schools two nationals. Like, I, I think we we've convinced ourselves with the selection committee. There's too many conspiracy theories. Like, usually for the most part, they do a pretty decent job from a hosting and national seeds perspective. Um, so we're we're talking about this team as a national seed again. Like, the, there's no doubt about it. Now they have to do work. Like, they're probably going to have to do six and three over the next three series. But what this series sweeping in South Carolina has afforded you is the ability to discuss that. Um, you're going to probably have to be the fifth SEC team that gets one, but I don't think it's unlikely that they get five. And if you do your job and go six and three over the next nine, I think you frankly will be one. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And I mean, there's also, you know, in this bad stretch of baseball they had, there's also a power in not being swept. They didn't have a weekend where they didn't, where they got swept, which I think is huge because as bad as that was, and yes, they lose four series in a row at the same time, I find this hilarious. We have not – we've got three SEC series left, right? Mm-hmm. Ole Miss has yet to take two of three from anyone. Yeah. And as I said, they may not next weekend either. They're going to win two next weekend. It's just – do they win three? Yeah, um, the power of not getting swept is, is every bit as powerful as getting swept as well because you had a bad stretch. You did. But at the same time, that's what? Four and eight. Four and eight? Like – Yeah. You you're a game or a loss or two away. The I mean that name the comeback against LSU or whatever game that they were able to salvage against Florida in the middle. And most of the time it's been Doug winning on Saturday and then just not getting it done on Sunday. But like your worst stretch of the year, four and eight, okay, not great. But if that's two and ten, it's an entirely different outlook on your absolutely, season. absolutely. So, uh, like you said, a lot of power in not getting swept and a lot of power in sweeping. I mean this, you know, look, I mean. If you look at it, right, 13 and 8, okay, you are essentially one game off from having won every SEC series, right, because you've played seven SEC series. If you were 14 and 7, that would mean you took two out of three every weekend. I know not literally, but, like, the math adds up to that, right? Right. So you're one game below having won every SEC series this weekend. Still pretty freaking good shape, especially when you consider what happened the first weekend. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Could not – could not agree more with that part of it. And so that was the part I was going to get to before we get to the questions was you talk about the power of sweeping. This team has three and their other two opportunities to do so are going to come on the road. I mean, there's only three series left. Yeah. They go Vanderbilt and then they go at Georgia. I don't, I don't think they can sweep Georgia. I, I don't necessarily think so either, but let's just say between Georgia and A&M, they do it one more time. I'm not saying either. Go ahead. <laughs> If I had to pick today, I think they sweep next weekend. Okay, fair enough. I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but, like, it is also still very hard to do. Sure. But just for the sake of the argument, like, that's – so just say they, they sweep one more time. One of the two, okay. like you're talking about, is next weekend. That's sure, yeah. 12 SEC wins off of the sweeps. That's, that's 12 <laughs> already. Like, you don't have to – like I, I mean, if you're sweeping everyone, like, you could kind of afford to drop a few in a row. And I, obviously that's not ideal, but I just find that that way of looking at it to where – okay, this team swept four times. That's 12 wins and 18 gets you a lock to anything. Yeah. Well, and what sucks this year is usually 18 does, right? I think, frankly, with four SEC teams pretty much having locked up national seeds, I think it's going to take 19 this year. Um, Okay, fair. That's totally fair. But they're 13 and eight, and if they get one more sweep against an inferior opponent, all they have to do is not get swept in either of the other ones. Yeah, well, not get swept in – yeah, not get swept and win the series at Georgia. Um, 19 is going to get it done, I think. 
and, and that's why I think this weekend is imperative. You get three. Um, and, again, that's tough on the road, right? Like, A&M's not going to roll over. They lost two one-run games in Starkville this weekend. They obviously uh, hadn't quit this weekend. They're just not very good. Um, so, I look, yeah, absolutely. If this team – and I do think, right, outside of LSU, I do think there is something to be said about the ability when you're playing teams that you're clearly better than, uh, which has been four teams in SEC play, right, uh, which, you know – uh, LSU, South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama. Ole Miss obviously better than all four of those teams. They went nine and three against those – wait, no, ten and two against those teams. They beat the crap out of teams they're better than. And I do think that it, there is something to be said for that. Yeah, uh, that I would agree with that as well. Um, kind of transitioning towards the questions before we stay on here for nine hours. <laughs> the We'll just get right to it. Brody Clayton asked the first one that we were going to get to with Elko. How do you guys see this Tim Elko situation playing out? Do y'all think he will be able to keep this team – to be able to help this team down the stretch? Sorry. Yes. Also, what does his draft stock look like? Well, that's a lot going on in that question. One, yeah. let's just start there. Cool moment on Saturday night. Yeah, that, uh, that was awesome. I, 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 I laugh, and I know that uh, you, know, you see it a lot in Major League Baseball, like the Cardinals – fans like brand them the best fans in baseball and I thought the tribalism in fan base is kind of funny and really honestly pretty stupid 95 percent of the time but like I don't know that just to me seemed like a moment of a fan base that is engaged uh and locked in with their team and kind of knew the the magnitude of that moment because just from an outsider's view or from an outsider's perspective it's like oh this kid got hurt he missed two weeks like why would he get a standing ovation but it was absolutely like worthy and was a cool moment to see and I just thought that was a uh cool reflection on maybe the the detailed level of detail in the investment and the amount of people that are detailed and invested in the program yeah I've never seen somebody get three standing ovations at Swayze um so like Elko comes up well let's just play the situation out it's the bottom of the eighth inning Kale Baker's hitting seventh Hayden Leatherwood's hitting eighth and John Rice is hitting ninth and in between innings, I'm, like, keeping an eye on Elko because I knew they wanted to get him in at bat. I knew they were trying desperately just to figure out a way to get him on the field. Um, and in between innings, when Dowdery goes to the mound, I see Elko put on a helmet. And I'm like, ah, shit, here we go. Um, and, like, he – for the entire inning, I kid you not, I took a picture and put it on Twitter. He's literally sitting on the bench behind Mike, like, trying to hide from everybody because I think he was kind of getting emotional. Um, and then he comes out in between innings on deck and he's got a helmet on. His, obviously, he's going to hit. And the place just loses its mind. And he's on deck now. Like, Kel Baker is going to hit first. The place just loses its mind. And then Baker strikes out. Um, and he starts walking to the plate. The place loses its mind again. And then he looks at two fastballs that are off the plate. And, and I don't know if you could see it on TV, but the fastball, he popped up and, and Mike mentioned it he was about a millimeter away from hitting at 480 feet. He hit the ball, I'm not kidding you, 250 feet in the air. Like, just skyrocketed it up there. Um, and, look, I watched him run to first. Is it is it, you know, elite speed to first base? No. But he's not going to get thrown out from right field on a base hit either. He's going to be able to go from first to third on a ball in the gap, I think. Um, so – if he has the ability to do that, I don't really think that he's going to have problem DHing. Like, no, he's not going to steal bases. He's not going to run hit and runs. He's not probably going to get a very big lead. Um, but I don't think he's going to be that big of a hindrance on the bases. And that, and he's not going to be able to slide. 
But other than that, I, I don't really think he's going to cause you problems running the bases. And I'll, I'll say it. I think by the end of the year, he's your DH. Okay. So that was the second part of this question. And, uh, I, you know, I, that was kind of what we were going to get into next. And so uh, my take on it was why Tim Elko's partially torn ACL induced the pop-up and why he can't hit anymore. Next, coming up next on ESPN's Get Up. But, no, I, I saw the I – I, I was at the wedding at this point, so I had to go back and watch the at-bat afterward because you texted me about the ovation. I saw the video. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then I had to go – I went and replayed the game and, and went back and watched it. Um, yeah, you're right. He hit it a, a, a mile in the air. And I think the way you described it, though, is kind of the way Mike described it earlier in the week when he was talking to the media there about it. It's like, hey, he's not going to leg out any doubles with this. But if he's not in a drastic amount of pain and he can get to first base, we'll take everything that comes with the bat. Yeah, yeah, because he's going – I can tell you right now, he's going to hit a ball off the batter's eye at some point this year. Um, it's not – he's not limited hitting-wise, man. He's just not. It's the, it's the, so in my, I'm not a doctor again. I always just pretended to be one on, on radio, but like it's the going to, it's the rounding the bases yeah. and moving laterally, right? Like where you have to, yes. like I imagine in a straight line, he's just kind of running the first. Okay. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> making the lateral movement, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly what it is, which is why if he gets to first base and they let him run, um, which I don't think they'll do for a little while. Um, I think that they'll run for him for a few weeks, maybe this week, and maybe they let him run against, you know. Uh, I'm interested to see this. I'm interested to see does he start against Arkansas State on Tuesday. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I think he's going to be perfectly fine on the bases and that he's not going to, like you said, he's not going to be able to round and cut through all these things. But I don't think it's going to be a situation where, let's say he's your three-hole hitter and Kevin Graham's hitting fourth. Say Kevin Graham hits a ball down the line to the wall. I don't think Tim Elko is going to I, – I don't think he's going to have any problem getting to third base in that situation. He's not going to score. I just – I don't think he's going to have a problem stepping on second, turning, and going to third. It's going to take him a second. But I don't – I just don't think that's going to be an issue. And if that's not an issue, then I don't really see why he can't DH every day because dealing with the guy that's not able to score from first on a double or not able to leg out a double in the gap, um, is worth what he can provide you with the aluminum stick in his hand. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And so that was that was part of Brody's question, uh, too, was what's realistic expectations. I wrote in Friday's newsletter, uh, just basing it at the time off of what I saw Mike say earlier in the week and read what he said. And my original thing in terms of original expectations, my orig I think what I wrote was, a reliable pinch hitter with the occasional start at DH, but it sounds like you think he could become an everyday guy. Well, but my thing, all right, here's my thing. Um, if he can DH, you know, every once in a while, why can't he DH every day? And I'm genuinely asking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's not like a stress level thing. Like if he's batting four times, that's not an increased stress amount of pain on the ACL because again, I don't know the mechanics of hitting, you know, we know better than me. I, I know you're not a doctor and I'm not putting words in your mouth either, but like it, it's more so just the lateral movement. It's why the field's out of the question, but from a hitting standpoint, it, is him planting on that leg? Like what is, I know it's the, it's the back leg. Yeah. It, it, that's gotta be it a little bit turning and shifting. Body yeah, that's gonna, it's gonna hurt um, for a little while. Um, but I, I do think that they're, they're doing some things to strengthen everything around the knee where it takes some, some pressure off of that. Um, I don't know. And you know what was funny? Mike actually talked about him playing the field at some point this year. Can he play first base? They they said they hadn't even tried it yet. They were 
saying long-term goal, can, can he play first base for us? I'm like, yeah, probably not. Let's not do that. Um, but why do yeah, you need think, to do that? I know it's a, it, it's not the greatest situation, but it's not like it's a defensive well, stopper at first. Well, let's, let's, let's tell it how it is. They DH Tate and Leatherwood the last two games. Um, all you got to do is put Leatherwood out in the field and then bring uh, Graham in to play first base. That's all you got to do. It's not a big deal. You're not going to lose anything much at first base. Um, so, yes, I'm, if, if he's able to DH, and I think – and look, I could be wrong with this, and this is just a prediction, and this is probably me being a little too optimistic. I think by the time the Oxford Regional comes around, I think he's the DH. You being too optimistic. Mike's over here talking about this guy fielding ground balls and stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not saying you're wrong. That was just kind of what I uh, – that's kind of what I forecasted off of uh, just kind of what Mike said earlier in the week. And then, of course, I was if his pain tolerance is okay, I don't see why he couldn't hit, you know, 12 times a weekend or whatever it is as a first <laughs> time. Um, but I kind of like to see it, too. Like, wouldn't you like to see him hit it in the gap and see what rounding first base uh, looks like? Yeah, that's that's what, exactly what I want to see. Um, if it's an actual single, does he run it out like it's a grounder? What do you mean? So if he hits a rope to left field and it's yeah, he's gonna run, he's gonna run gap, like it's a dead, it's a very clear single. The guy fields it on the dime. He's running straight through the bag. Yes, that's what I was curious about. He no shot. He turns right. No, no, he he's not. Look, the only way, really, honestly, that he's going to hit a ball uh, that where he uh, turns at first base is going to be if it goes over the fence. I mean. Ben Van Cleef has two healthy ACLs, and I saw him single off the wall. Yeah, but he, he at least do, does the turn. Yeah, he, he does. He's able to do that. So that's what I – that's what full health of – He didn't play this weekend, by the way. I know. I had a couple of things I want to get to at the end with that as well, uh, in addition to the Leatherwood thing. Let's roll through a couple more of these questions real quick. What bullpen pitcher not named Broadway or Doherty, Doherty – I, I keep saying that wrong – would you trust to get outs in crucial moments? Uh, so you're telling me that – Game's on the line, and I can't use Broadway. I can't use Dowdery. My uh, is Eric Diamond with Tyler Diamond. Myers right behind him. Uh, Diamond. Yeah, Diamond Myers Burton. It's going to be my order after that. Yeah. yeah. Depending on the situation and the team, I, I guess I just can't quit Austin Miller because of what I've seen him do in the past. I can. So you think that's done with? I, I, I don't think it's done with. I think it would be done with under Coach Brister. Fair enough. I, I want to argue there. I just I've seen what he's done before. I don't necessarily still understand how he gets outs, but when he's been good, he's gotten outs before. So maybe just another name to throw out there. But yeah, I think it's Diamond for me and Myers right behind him. And then obviously West Burton at some point, even though they didn't love the velocity stuff, it didn't sound like with him uh, early in the year. But I, I think Chase wrote in an article I read of his a while back. It's like at some point, him getting outs has to matter. Velocity. <laughs> it's like yeah. Right? Like, yeah, like the, the, they something. get they go back to the dugout after he pitches more than they do when other guys pitches. That should count. Yeah, that has to hold. Getting outs is at the end of the day the name of the game. That has to hold some some significance. To whereas Mike's over here saying they took the you know Josh Mallett, who not to be an asshole, has not pitched since the Mississippi State debacle. But you know Mike's I over here because he doesn't walk people. But like that is better than not walking people. Stand by it, Mike. Mike, somebody got Mike's ear. Mike read a message board. He read some Twitter notifications. I stand by it. There's no way they 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 just quit that kid cold turkey just because Mike decided. Oh, it's time. I think my man read a message board or something. 
it's a, I mean, look, man, you, we, we joke about Mike and like, you know, there was Chase told me a while back and he's covered the program and the team obviously way longer than anyone else. He, he told me in like 17 or 18 that Mike doesn't read anything. That's not a print newspaper. And Mike actually told us that one time. Uh, he just said he preferred the only thing he read and maybe he's lying because that's what I was about to get to. <laughs> he, he looked at Davis Potter. Do you remember Davis Potter, the yeah. Eagle guy one day? Yeah. And like, he had a, like a small gripe. Like it was a, mostly a joke about something he wrote. And he said, you know, you're the only one I read. And then looked around like me, Paris, Chase, and whoever else was out there. And was like, no offense. Okay, thanks, Mike. <laughs> he said the only thing he reads is the local newspaper, and he prefers to live in that bubble. And that's what he prefers. So whether how much truth to that there is, I'm still not sure. But Just yeah, a theory. Mike said he lives, uh, reads the Oxford Eagle and nothing else. But to your point, whether he reads something or not, the way he handled the Mississippi State thing, it, it, it was our look. I'll put it through you this way, not to flex on the numbers. That was our most listened to podcast for a reason. It was because of that Sunday game and his decision making and the uh, kind of collective frustration amongst people that follow the program afterward. Like, he's not an idiot either. Like, he had to feel some pressure. I, I agree with you there. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I can tell you, he, he felt it after Mississippi State for a little while. And then you have the LSU week, and it's like, man, like, so you got to think about that three week stretch on Mike Bianco, just a human being. It's like, he lost to the three biggest rivals. Like, yeah, he's probably feeling it a little bit at that point. Yeah, you should probably stop using the kid that didn't get outs against any of them. <laughs> like, I mean, not to, again, not to be to mallets or whatever, but like, exactly. I mean, there's some pressure that comes with it. Anyway, yeah, so I think we answered his pretty well there. Who? What's your the order of Dan, the judge? I don't understand Twitter. Uh, Dan says, what should the order of the bullpen be going forward and who should start on Sunday? Well, some of that – well, I can answer the second part. They're not moving Drew McDaniel off Sunday unless it gets much worse, as we outlined earlier in the podcast. The second part of it uh, kind of depends quite obviously on situation and how the first two guys do. But assuming, you know, Hoagland and Nikhazy shove, like we've seen for most weeks, that's something I was going to run by you anyway, and I'm glad he asked this question – do you think today was a bit of a blueprint weekend to their success going forward in terms of the way they went about the bullpen and yep. the order in which they use guys up to Broadway? That's that's their best them. If, if Hoagland and Nikhazy are able to go six and seven and give you 13 innings and Broadway's able to pitch three combined innings on a weekend and Drew McDaniel gives you four or five innings, yeah, that's their best That's their best path. I mean, that doesn't leave a whole lot of innings for any, anybody else to pitch. Um So, yeah, I, I think that is the blueprint, blueprint going forward. Uh, he asked about who would – uh, pitch on Sundays. I think the answer is Drew McDaniel, and you know, wh whether you you can just talk about it from a stats perspective or a stuff perspective, the reality is that they've won two games in a row that Drew McDaniel has pitched, and Mike's not big on changing things. I do know this: Mike's not big on changing things that are winning. I promise you that. Uh, to the point that if Ole Miss had maybe erased the or, or wound up winning that Sunday game against Arkansas. Not a hundred percent convinced that Derek Diamond doesn't start on Sunday and start. <laughs> I thought about saying that on the podcast at the not a hundred percent. I thought people might just run off the road if I did. I, I agree. Like, look, it was as bad as it's looked. I mean, that was the he got four outs, but yeah, if Ole Miss comes back to win fourteen to twelve or some shit. It would not have stunned me if Diamond started on Sunday in Starkville. <laughs> we won. That's the old fashioned Mike just comes out. Well, we won. That's a fact. You you won the game. That is statistically correct. So wait, wait. Are we saying are we saying that what saved Ole Miss's season was losing to Arkansas? Yeah. Exactly. Maybe so. Maybe so. I I I wasn't going that far, but I, I don't hate. But 
getting back to this guy's question for real, like, is this kind of it? Like, you, you, you blueprint to this thing's best level of success. Get six from Hoagland and Nikhazy. You know, ask Doherty and uh, – Excuse me, Doherty and uh, I'm going blank here. Let's back that up. I'm gonna, uh, no, I'm not cutting that out of the podcast because I don't even know where we are. You asked Doherty and Don the first couple of days to get people out in between, and then just Sunday you figure out what you got left. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you hopefully, uh, frankly, there you hopefully there's not much in between, right? Like you know, if Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy are giving you 13, then you're only really needing about six outs, and Broadway can handle the rest of it. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, hopefully if you're Ole Miss, you have Diamond and Doherty and, you know, maybe an inning from Broadway left on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the path is you ask Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy, and this is a tough ass, right, because this league's tough. But if they can give you 13 innings every weekend, man, Ole Miss is going to have a real chance to win a lot of series. Yeah, I agree. And I guess the only change to that would be after what Doherty did this weekend, he's probably either the first or second guy out. I, I could see he and Diamond being pretty interchangeable. But, like, don't you think in the future they're going to Doherty before they go to Myers? And that's not a knock on Myers. That just, like, going yeah. forward, if Doherty stuff continues to play, to me, Myers is more of a what can I get out of this kid on Sunday if the other two are spent. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. I think I think Diamond and Doherty are your, your first two options out of the pen um, on Friday and Saturday. I think Burton's in there, too. I think those are the three that, you know, you try to get it to Broadway with. Um, and then you kind of figure out who's available from that group on Sunday. Uh, but, yeah, I think those are certainly the, the first three before you go to Taylor. Yeah, and so uh, I apologize to anyone that just had to listen to me try to articulate that originally. That just kind of shows where my brain's at today. I'm sure that made your head hurt. I could not get that out straight. I, like, blanked on – I blanked on uh, on Doherty's name, and then once I remembered it, and then I blanked on uh, Diamond's name. So that shows where I'm at today. Let's go to – let's finish these questions up. What should happen to the Vandy Whistler if he shows up at Swayze? Arrest. Yeah, fight. He better not be in Section J, I'll tell you that. If he wants to go, he should have to – like, they shouldn't give him a hotel. He should have to stay at the drunk tank. He just better not be in Section J. I just don't think he's going to be – I don't think that guy travels. I think he's – you know, there's a lack Actually, of self-awareness there. Uh, obviously, I don't want to get into a Vandy Whistler rant, but uh, I, surely he's self-aware enough to not travel to Oxford. Actually, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Uh, after seeing what I saw on Friday night, I may actually want him to show up in Section J because he might get took. There was a gentleman in Section J on Friday night when Kemp Alderman came up with first and second, nobody out. He was very upset Kemp didn't lay it down. Very upset. The bunt? Yeah, he, he wanted Kemp to get that thing down. Yeah, well, now you see the faction of the Ole Miss fan base that to just get mad at anything because I, I don't really understand that one. <laughs> Took Kemp's red shirt off the butt. Yeah, uh, yeah, but like the Vandy Whistler, I did, I don't know. I just I I, I that guy. I, there's not a lot of things that irk me, but surely he's not showing up to Swayze. If he does, they should probably institute a have to have a mask anytime you're in the stadium just for the three games he's there. Okay, I will I will ask you this. Um, who would be in the SEC the most iconic – or not, not iconic – most ironic fan base to complain about artificial noisemakers? Vandy? No, no State, no. State, State, yeah. State. There was a – after uh, Mississippi State lost two of three to uh, the doors last weekend, there was a thread on a prominent Mississippi State message board asking if they should consider the Vandy Whistler an artificial noisemaker. I mean, it's quite literally not artificial. I mean, I hate the guy as much as the next guy, but there's nothing artificial about it unless he's a robot. Right? It's like, 
What am I yeah, what, what was the argument? I, I, I didn't have access, so I couldn't read it. But I was like, how how can you complain about artificial noisemakers? Yeah, I mean, cowbells be damned. What did, look, give the Vandy guy credit. There's nothing artificial about what he's doing. That's no, he he is a uh, he is an original original jerk. Like it's nothing artificial about this man. Yeah, he's one hundred percent a real noisemaker. He's just a pain in the ass. So I don't, I don't get that one. I, I might go back and look at that thread now that you mentioned it because I would like to hear that argument about how he's artificial. Um, what's your order at Taco Bell? I go Doritos Locos. Uh, I'm a number seven steak quesadilla, steak quesadilla, and then I, I, I look. If I'm going to Taco Bell, I'm obviously hungry and or uh, and not in great shape. Um, so I, I'm adding a a Doritos Locos taco onto it. Oh, so you're the same as me. I love those things. I think they're good. I'm mostly the same way. I'm usually not completely uh, sober, I would say, most of the time I'm eating Taco Bell. Although that's also not completely true. I'll, if I'm feeling it, and I, I've tried to cut down on the amount of fast food I eat for a lot of because uh, my diet's pretty rough as is, and the last thing I need is like – Someone said on a podcast, and I can't remember uh, who it was, that you eat like a 13-year-old. That was, I believe, Ben and Chase on their crossover podcast. Maybe, yeah. So, you know, my gripe with my good friend Chase over that is he was saying that in the context of what I eat at the ballpark. And it's like, what kind of sophisticated cuisine am I going for at the ballpark? Like, do I just step it up and get the Solshine pizza or Old Venice, whatever it is? Like, of course you're going to eat like a 12-year-old at the ballpark. There's no options. But his statement does have some merit because yeah, I, I don't eat the healthiest diet. I, I'm not a big veggie fan. And uh, when hey. you start counting carbs – and uh, whatever the other one is, calories. I still don't know which one's bad, which one's good. My gauge is, does it taste good? That's kind of how I decide what my diet is. Do I like this? Yes. Does this taste good? Sweet. It's going in the rippy diet. So, anyway, not a ton. Don't go to Taco Bell a ton, but occasionally I'll mix it up. And some fast food tacos will uh, will make make it into the, the mix in a given week. It also helps uh, Taco Bell and all other fast food chains that I don't know how to cook and could screw up a Pop-Tart. So that that uh that helps. Wait, like when you say you can't cook, like are we struggling to make popcorn, or are we, are we able to do like some canned food stuff? Like how deep does not being able to cook go? I can grill steak and burger. Okay. I'm actually fairly competent on a grill, but like if you're telling me to anything, you're telling me to put pots and pans and measure the amount of stuff I put in. Not something, happening. Not happening. But I can do can, the California can, Pizza Kitchen. I make great pizza. Can we make uh? Can we make spaghetti? Never tried, which probably okay. says more that about anything in terms of my level of effort. I probably could sound sounds okay. like that's a simple one you threw out there, but have not tried. I feel like that's the gauge, right? Like I feel like if we can brown some hamburger meat, cook some noodles, then then you're not considered undomesticated. So I think you'll be okay. Uh, in the spaghetti family, I can make the hell out of some ramen. <laughs> so you, so you did in fact go to college. Yes, I did went to college, and I can boil water. So, not to brag, that's pretty impressive. Um, but I probably need to get better at cooking. I'll let I'll leave that one up to Greg. I'll let Greg kind of get me back on the train of uh, figuring stuff go. out. Last question we got before I'll throw a couple of things, and I'll get to story time. We'll get the hell out of here. You always say Mac Brown has knives in his socks. Parentheses he does. Thanks. Who on this baseball team is most likely to have a weapon? What is it, and where is it hidden? Uh, I mean, no, the I, answer is Kale uh, Baker because I know Kale Baker yeah, street okay. clothes gives off biker gang vibes. So yeah, knife in his crotch. I was going Austin Miller. He kind of seems like a guy that might hit you over the head with a pipe. 
Well, he shaved his beard, so now he's Austin Corporate Miller. Now he looks That's like he sells true. stocks. That's true. That's true. That's true. I would have agreed with you, though, because, you know, you, you talk about the facial hair changing, the, like the way you look at a guy and his attitude. I remember when we were doing that live show and he went out to the bullpen and you were like, wait, who is that? And I'm not great with, like, guys' numbers, even, like, yeah. covered teams. I know Austin Miller's 28, right? Like, yeah. But, like, I was the same way. I was like, who is that? And it's literally just because he shaved. <laughs> Which I guess shows how simple our brains are. But, yeah. Austin Corporate Miller, uh, maybe. If he grows the beard back, I will accept your answer as perfectly. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be able to grow it back before the end of the year, though. So, it's going to have to be Kale. Right. And, like, Servideo's not on the team anymore, but I would have gone with him. The other guys are, just seem too nice. Yeah. Tim Elko's not thinking anyone. No. Oh, um, yeah. I'm trying to think of somebody that might start a fight on this team. I can't really, can't really come up with anybody. Ben Van um, Cleve, maybe. Yeah, I would not screw with Ben Van Cleve. Uh, and Kip Alderman, just because. Yeah. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Calvin Harris is from Iowa. He's a wrestler. I'm sure at some point. Right. No, that's. <laughs> where did you get that reference, by the way? I, I, I had to do something where I, uh, wrestling's a big deal in Iowa. How Austin Miller's from Iowa, too. So we got two Iowa boys. Good point. Don't screw with the Hawkeye State. So maybe it's just <laughs> <from> Iowa. <laughs> Iowa and Kale Baker would be my answers. Well, he's oh, from Ohio. Ohio. So maybe it's like just the Midwest. Don't yeah, screw with the, them. The Midwest. You know, they, they farm and they stab people. So, anyway, that's a terrible thing to say about people from the Midwest. But just to answer the question. Oh, God. So, this podcast is going off the rails. I probably want to go soon. I have a couple more things I want to throw at you, though, real quick. We covered the bullpen thing. What did you make of two starts for John Rice Plumley? I don't understand the right field thing. Just play the kid in center, whatever. I won't complain. What do you make of that and him DHing Leatherwood? Uh, I think he thinks that's his best, most valuable lineup. Um, I can't really disagree at this point. So, I mean, I, I, I think Mike has maybe just kind of figured it out, kind of took, took him a little bit. But I, I think that he's just conceded this is his best lineup from an offensive and defensive standpoint. The only other, the only other tweak to this and kind of wrinkle would be if Elko becomes a reliable contributor. Yeah. And like, I, not, that's not saying – obviously he was having a hell of a year yeah. before he got hurt. It's just like you want to wait and see how this works, right? You got a taste of it. They seem optimistic. But before you see it, I agree this is best line. The only wrinkle is if he starts raking again, right? Yeah. I think uh, I think Ben Van Cleve will be the DH on Friday night in College Station because there's a left-hander on the mound. But it's right-handers. I think just it's just your best lineup. So that leads us into two things. Is One, uh, the Calvin Harris thing for now kind of seems to maybe have gone by yeah. the wayside and with good reason. And then two, look, Kim Alderman's a nice story, but I mean – I mean, everything you heard about fall ball has proved to be true. I mean, the, the kid strikes out a ton. I believe on Friday when he got the start, wasn't he 0 for 4 with 4Ks? Yeah, he can't see spin right now. And, you know, that's something that comes. It's, it's, it's not something to, you know, write the kid's career off. It's something that, that will come. He will be able to see spin. Um, he's just not seeing it right now. Um, so, you know, they throw it up for 92 miles an hour, he'll hit it in the student section, ask LSU. But, yeah, right now he, he's struggling to see spin, and that's hopefully something that – uh. Uh, Kemp Alderman as a sophomore is able to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, how the best way to describe it, and it, it, it's nothing. Like, hopefully, you can get this kid. It's cool. It was a cool story. I'm glad he contributed. He's probably a decent pinch hit option because at any moment he get it about 900 feet. But I mean, the kid has 12 at bats with eight strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that 
uh, if there's a guy on first and second and you need a pinch hitter, he's the guy you probably go to because you can't really fall behind in counts uh, with guys in first and second because you can't really walk the bases loaded. So uh, maybe in that type of role. But, yeah, I mean, look, he's struggling to see spin right now, man. And, and they're going to keep feeding him curveballs if he keeps coming up with nobody on or, you know, guy on first and second, two outs or whatever, where they don't really care about walking him. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, it's really that simple. He's struggling to see curveballs. The conclusion out of this, this whole deal is the best way to describe it is like, He'd be kind of a devilish pinch hitter, like you said. I thought that was a great way you put it. It's like you get guys first and second. And, man, in the, you know, the postseason or something, you're in a region game and you're down, oh, I don't know, 3-2 in the seventh, and you got two guys on. Like, that's a hell of an option if the matchup's bad. Sure, sure, absolutely, especially maybe against a left-hander. Yeah, I can't and agree And I think Alvin Harris is probably just out of the mix for now. Yeah, he had a pinch hit Saturday for John Rice Plumley uh, with the guys that first and third and one out where they needed a sack fly and he got it done. So, I mean, they'll use him as a pinch hitter, but yeah, DH, I think that's probably over. I think that was all of the questions. Oh, I had one guy, someone texted me and said, if they win two next weekend, do they host? I think the yeah. question is two, if they win two next weekend, they're in the national seat conversation. I think they're in pretty good hosting position after this. I season. think they would have to not I think they would have to get swept next weekend to not host. And if they get swept next weekend, I'm not recording on Sunday, just, you know, forewarning. That would be one of the more puzzling results. Like, I, I would kind of give up on trying to figure this team out. I, I agree. I don't, I don't think that happens either. A&M is, is not very good. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that one. Um, I will save this for the very end because there's a football-related question. But anyway, that was kind of all the mailbag questions, I think. Um, so I appreciate everyone submitting those late. Uh, I guess we can get to the story time. Sure. <laughs> so I sent out a tweet last night that maybe was a slightly exaggerated. I was kind of feeling it at that point. Read into that what you will. Uh, <laughs> but it got to the point, like my mom texted me this morning. was like, you overslept? What the hell? Like, what did you do? And uh, it wasn't that egregious. So I went to a wedding this weekend in Ruston, uh-huh. Louisiana. My girlfriend was in the wedding party, and I didn't know a soul. It's someone that she met in graduate school. So it wasn't like one of those deals where it was like, you know, she's friends with the people. I may not be as close, but I know who they are. I rolled yeah. into this bad boy not knowing a soul. <laughs> I had met the bride and the groom once, and there was another dude that I knew from hanging out. He lives in Fort Worth from like once. So I'm writing into this as a complete outsider. So <laughs> I do the rehearsal dinner and all that on Friday night. Good time, whatever. We had a nice time. She's gone with like wedding stuff all day on Saturday, right? And so I need to find a way to kill time. And to her credit, she actually finds me a group of dudes to go play golf with, which is like sweet. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, you go kill five hours, right? And then I kind of come back and I have like a crew to roll with to the wedding or whatever. So, like, you know, that eliminated the awkwardness level by a lot. And I met some people on Friday. They were nice. So, I had a day on Saturday. I'll just – can I just go through this start to finish? Sure, sure. So give us, give us your Saturday itinerary. Yeah, so well, I'll just go through the Saturday itinerary here. We had a good time Friday night. Um, did the rehearsal dinner. Didn't stay out super late. So, like, I'm not, I'm not rolling in, you know, completely struggling headed to the golf course on Saturday. But this guy texts me. He's like, hey, we have an 8.30 tea time at this place called Darbone Country Club. About 30 minutes yep. outside of Ruston on a lake. Sweet. Sounds good, dude. They picked me up like 7.30, 7.45, something like that. I've never met these guys. But at that point, I'm just happy to kill time. They, they're playing golf like we have something to talk about. Cool. So we roll out there. <laughs> these are – like, I had a great time. They're great dudes. They were a, a lot of fun. We had a great time. But we roll out to this country club, 
And we show up, and there's it's not the country club that I thought because when they said Darbon Country Club, I was like, sweet, like how did they get us on this? Um, it's a house looking thing. It's a very much a country like redneck style country club for the lack of a better phrase. We showed up. It, this is eight thirty on a Saturday morning, and it wasn't open. No one was manning the clubhouse. The, oh. the carts were locked into the barn. There was no one there. We were the only people on the property. I was like, are we getting punked? Like, what is going on here? Like, couldn't even go to the bathroom. Somebody had to go to the bathroom. The poor guy had to, like, run down, like, by this pool area and luckily found, like, a like, – I think it was, like, a porta john or something. I don't know. But, like, we're the you know, they, they, they do make bushes. They, they do. I, this, I'll, I'll, put, I'll keep it short and sweet and not gross. This was not a bush-conducive bathroom oh. situation. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. our man, our man in the truck was almost in a really, really sticky situation. Uh, anyway, so so we get there, and we're the only ones there. I have to just assume we had an eight thirty tea time. Apparently, that's not how this place rolls. So about fifteen minutes after, I was just sitting in the truck. It was like apparently they open at nine. We figured it out because they do have looked like some sort of website. So we sit there, and like we roll up, and this guy rolls up, and um, it's not the person in charge. Very clearly, he's very clearly a maintenance man at this place, and we we're like. Hey, sir, like, how do we get the ball rolling on this? Like, we're here to play golf. Like, how does this work? And he's like, oh, I'll, y'all need a golf cart? I'll lock, unlock it for you. I was like, that'd be great, pal. Like, we're here to solve problems. So <laughs> he unlocks it, and we're like, okay, so, like, how do we pay? And the guy was like, well, Sharon or whatever the old lady's name was that runs it, she might not be here till closer to supper time. So we'll just figure that out later. And I was like, All right. Me? I was like, wait a minute, what? And so then, so we get the golf cart out. And I was like, how do we pay? And he's like, well, we do have a box here. And it was like a wooden box to where, you know, sometimes you see those wooden boxes, with boxes on them that you can put like tips in and such. Yeah. He was like, you could just throw in some money there. And then we figured it out at the end. And he didn't seem to think it was a problem that we had no cash and didn't seem to understand the, the, the kind of pinch we would be in if we threw a debit card in this pine box that didn't have locks. He, he did not seem to think that was much of an issue. So, so about this time, I'm looking around and I don't know these guys. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what are we I doing? Be, I could be asleep. <laughs> yeah. I was like, look, man, I'm not mad, but I'm just more taken aback by this entire situation. I was like, what is going on here? Like, what are we doing? I thought we had an 830 tea time. We started to play golf at this country club. And, you know, the guy's looking at us like we just discovered fire for asking him how we pay after he gives us a golf cart key for free. It's like, what in the world is this? So about that time, luckily, we take the carts out, and this lady comes ripping into this place with a truck. And she look, gets her card, and it looks like the woman in charge. Like, this lady looks like she runs shit. Like, if she, didn't have a, if she had a badge and a vest, that was the only thing, really, like, that would have kept me from being like, okay, she's official here. So, so she goes in and opens up the place, and we're like, we're here to play golf. Can we pay? We're still the only actual customers here. She was like, yeah, y'all can pay after if y'all want, or we can figure it out now. And we were kind of like, no, we just prefer to go ahead and pay now. And so she was not – I'll put it this way. She was not an accountant. She was not concerned with this club's finances. She got through about three of the five people. It was obviously we were all, like, playing together. And she got through three of them. She was like, cool, we done here? And the other two guys were like, well, we'd probably like to pay too. So – then she pulls this Wait, off. Y'all are much nicer than me because I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. She was a sweet old lady. I was just like, no, can we just pay? Like, I don't want to come back in here afterward. And then it's like offering to basically just like pour vodka down our throat. She was like, y'all want a screwdriver? I'll make a good one. And we were like, no, thanks. It's 830. Like, we, we got a long day ahead of us. So anyway, 
play golf. Nice dudes. I had a great time. It was cool meeting some new people. They could not have been nicer letting some random kid that they picked up at a hotel room that morning uh, play golf with them. So then they want to go kind of get after it at this bar afterward because the wedding's not till six. Sweet, whatever. We go by their house. I go to the bar with them. Fine. Hold on. What? Let's. So, what time do we get to the bar? So three-ish, three or All right. so. What time do we have to be at the wedding? Six. So we got a couple hours have, to kill. You don't have to be there till six, or you don't have. And the wedding doesn't start till six. That's two separate answers. The wedding doesn't start till six. But actually, uh, another reason why this screw up was so egregious was my girlfriend. The, the this wedding they wanted to keep the actual thing small because of. I guess COVID or whatever. Yeah. So there were a ton of people, including everyone I was with playing golf that had reception only invites. So I texted my girlfriend and was like, Hey, like, I'm not trying to get out of this or anything, but these guys are reception invite only. Like, am I, I was basically just asking if I was cool to go to the wedding. And yeah. she was like, yeah, but you don't have to, you can just go to the reception. I was like, sweet. Cause it's a full on Catholic wedding. So the service is like long, like they let the, the, the bride and groom party sit down. If that tells you anything. Okay. So, one, I'm getting out of that. And two, I have like a crew to roll with the, to this wedding now. I can go with this group. I don't have to worry about it. Uh-huh. No problem. And I was behaving myself for, for a change. I, I was not getting after it on the golf course at nine in the morning. Cool. Like I knew I had to take it easy. I knew I had a long day ahead. So like we go and have like a, a, a sandwich and a couple beers at this bar. And then eventually they drop me back off at the hotel. And they're like, sweet. Like, you know, our plan is to leave at this time, blah, blah, blah. About five o'clock at this point we got to be at the reception place i think the idea was to get there like 7 15 ish so i have like an hour and a half to kill i flip on no miss baseball game and was like you know what i'm sitting in this chair just in case i doze off i'm gonna set an alarm for 20 minutes so we're in the hotel we're in the hotel at about 5 30 i my next job my only job of the entire weekend outside the rehearsal dinner was to be at this reception now at 7 7 15 okay so we've got an hour and a half yes well your boy's phone dies and I wake up at 7.40. Oh, no. Yes. In, in my how, golf. How many text messages? How many text messages? So, it actually wasn't that bad because, one, the wedding actually went longer than they thought. So, actually, I woke up and she had texted me right as my phone turns back on at 7.40, like, sorry we're late. Like, <laughs> um, we're on the way now. See you in a minute or something like that. I was sitting there like, boy, do I have a story for you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be late as well. So, I am in a full-on panic at this point i am freaking out i was like holy shit i have so we need to premise this you're banned from lyft yes there's no and there's no uber in this town that was a big important detail rustin has a major college law tech there's no uber the the guy at a bar on friday night i was like how does that work with no uber and he was like yeah we just kind of figure it out like this town's kind of known for that i was like they got a lot of of duis down there yeah i was about to say the city that swerves like is that something you want to be known for like what what is what does that mean He's like, yeah, there's always someone just sober enough. We figured it out. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound like a good option. So I knew it was even more important. That was why I was freaking out. Because if I missed this shuttle, like. So how are you getting there? You Okay, we're riding a shuttle. So I was either going to take a shuttle or the crew I was with, some variation of them, some of them with the hotel, some of them weren't, may were going to drive. And I was supposed to meet them down at the lobby at 6.50. Well, Ooh. They didn't knock them. They don't know me, so I'm not. I'm not chastising them, but I do have a couple complaints. Could you not ho- holler at a guy's door? If I'm not down there when I say I'm going to be, could you, could you not shoot me a text or knock on my door or something? Text wouldn't have mattered. Your phone died. That's true. That's also very true. But yeah, I guess it's also not their job to babysit me. I'm 26. Like they they don't know how I am. Like I guess they don't know I'm five at heart. So anyway, I wake up. I'm freaking the hell out because there's no way to get there. So 
I'm freaking the hell out. I was so are we like considering walking at this point? Is this a walkable distance? So she sends me a couple of taxi numbers. Like, I figured it out. Just call this. Like, yo, I'm she pissed. Uh, she actually handled this very well. She was not as mad as I originally gauged the situation. Maybe had some help from Carl Malone in that aspect. But she was like, just figure it out. Like, here's the taxi number. So like, I kind of figured that. I kind of called him. And I see a guy with a, in, a, in a Chevy that I was like, he, basically at that point I'm running downstairs and this man has a car, which now he's my new best friend. So I was like, Hey pal, like I need to get to this wedding. It's at Squire Creek. Like I need to go. Can, can you do anything about this? And I, so I guess I, I again, I'd sit the tweet. I was kind of feeling it a little, read what you in on that. I just, I didn't give him a hundred bucks. I gave him some money and he actually turned out to be a cab. There was someone else there or they had tipped him off that the cab needed to be nearby because there's a small cab service here. Apparently, he caught wind of a wedding and was just kind of lurking in the area. Works out great. So I, I, but I got in not knowing it was a cab. I was basically just being like, they could have took you anywhere. Oh, yeah. I was like, hey, man, here's some money. Could you please just drive me up the road? Like, it, it's 10 minutes. And then I, I, I figured out he's actually a cab, uh, like, on the way out there. I was like, oh, sweet. So you're a professional. Like, you, you got this down. I'm in good hands. So then not only is this guy uh, – taking me out there he's also coming up with excuses for me for damage control i like oh this guy had great instincts this is is better than the the fayetteville uber driver yes very much better i think his name was i think this gentleman's name was salvador if i'm not mistaken we we got along i uh, i would take a bullet for that guy might be in the foot but i'd take a bullet for him so he drops me off and i'm walking in here and I'm kind of assessing the situation. She doesn't seem that mad, but I'm still trying to figure out damage control. We go up to this table. It's very clear that everyone else knows I'm late. They're kind of chuckling like I'm that guy, for the lack of a better phrase. So then I get a tap on the back. And it's this lady. And she's like, can you take a picture of us? I was like, hell yes, I can. This lady's a genius. Like, is there a puppy I could save or a sick child I could rescue? Like, I'm about to be the greatest humanitarian this, this, this wedding has ever seen. I will take the greatest photo of all time because I'm a man of the people. So I'm trying to rehab my image via photo taking. I thought this was a genius strategy. Thoughts? I can't, I can't argue it. You, 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 you're on the low end of the totem pole, so anything that can uh, bring you back up can't Exactly. I've got to clean up my image here. I was like, hell yes, man. Get your happy family together. I will take – a portrait shot of you guys. You want action shots? I'll go sideways. I'm about to take the greatest damn photo of all time. This is about to be the greatest display of heroism this wedding party has ever seen. So I get the camera and I was like, damn, this guy's pretty tall. (laughs) And like his son's pretty tall too. And then like, come to know it, it's Carl Malone. Like that Carl Malone. So like, did you not know it was Carl at first? Did you have to be told it was Carl? I've only been there a handful of minutes. So I'm right. figuring this out in real time as I'm taking the photo. I forgot he went to La Tech. Apparently, he's big deal in Ruston. I mean, he's Carl Malone, obviously. Uh, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't like, I, I didn't want to be the fanboy guy as well. So I just shook all their hands and was like, here's your photo. Y'all have a great family. Y'all look great. I did a damn good job so of taking Why this was Carl at the wedding? Was he like, in, like related or what, what, what was, was friends with the father of the bride, coincidentally? Okay. Enough. So. Okay. I'm sure they've done that, that family that, uh, that the bride's family does pretty well. They're from Ruston. They're influential in the community. So I'm sure there've been some business ventures among other things, but I was like, shit, this guy's pretty tall. And then like, I hear kind of some murmuring in the background. I was like, well, that's Carl Malone. Like I didn't want to be the fanboy or whatever. I didn't want to be like, yeah, loved you in the last dance. Like already, <laughs> what the hell am I saying to Carl Malone? 
So I just took the photo and went about my day. But uh, I had a wild 10 minutes there. Uh, and Carl Malone's wife, significant other, basically Carl Malone's family helped me rehab my image. And you wouldn't have gotten that opportunity had you been on time. That's very true. If I had not been in that table at that moment after dragging in, which ended up only being a few minutes late, but I, I, I'll hand up. I screwed the pooch. Um, yeah, that was uh, that, that was my weekend. That's how I met Carl Malone. Were, were, uh, were, did we get yelled at on the car ride home? Was everybody okay? How did that go? No, we, uh, we had a great time. It was always forgiven. I think I got some sympathy because I did stick it out for two days with a group of people I didn't know. I mean, hell, I killed time with four dudes I'd never met on a golf course. Like, I, I, I put on for the team. I just – I took – and I don't even ever take naps or fall asleep, and it wasn't like I was just banged up and, like, passed out or something. I seriously <laughs> fell asleep at the worst time possible. That's crazy. Oh, that it, was, it, was, it was horrendous. So, that um, is a great and then one last night I had written down, if you want to know how redneck this golf course was, there was a small airstrip we drove by, and there was a skeet shooting range next to it. I was like, how does that work? And the guy – Yeah, apparently it's just a gentleman's agreement that you, you stop shooting when a plane's landing so you don't buckshot the plane. I thought you said something else at first. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a gentleman's agreement that the skeet shooters using the range, if you see a plane coming in, just stop shooting for a bit. You don't want to spray them with pellets. You ever, but you have you ever skeet shooting? I have a couple times. I actually used to duck as a kid. I don't look like a hunter. It's kind of fun to me. It gets old after a while, but people get really into that. But uh, I'm just gonna say skeet shooting range next to an airport probably not the best thing for real estate. (laughs) But the guy was like, "Yeah, man, I think they just stop whenever a plane's coming in." I was like, "Well, that's very responsible." Guns, airports. That's safe. Yeah. So uh, credit to the people at Darbone Country Club for doing it by the book. Uh, Congrats (laughs) to them. So that was my weekend. It's kind of tame. I just went to the library and the baseball games. I, I, I don't have any stories. That's okay. I've kept you on here for two hours, which I always say I'm going to stop doing, but we do it anyway. Before we get out of here, uh, after about weekend escapades and complaints, thoughts on the draft? I was a little shocked Elijah Moore fell, and I was surprised Kenny yeah. and went out of the second round. But kind of with what the Jets got going on, a young core, I think that's a good fit. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see. Royce Newman obviously goes to the Packers. Um, yeah, we'll see what they do. I thought it was kind of surprising Elijah fell out of the first round, but uh, could be a good fit if Zach Wilson, you know, fans out. Do you make anything of this whole, like, I saw the little narrative of, like, they just don't like Ole Miss players or whatever coming out now. Like, they haven't – I didn't make anything of it. I just thought it was a loaded wide receiver draft class. I thought the Bateman kid and Kadarius Tony going before Elijah Moore yeah, was stupid. But Bateman's pretty good. I don't really love the Tony pick by the Giants, but I just thought it was more a product of a loaded receiver class than more getting jobbed because of where he went to school. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it will miss had anything to do with that for sure. I think you're right. It's just a really good wide receiver class. So that was uh, that was talking the draft. We're uh, we're a baseball show at this point, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I appreciate the time as always, dude. We'll be back at it on uh, I guess Thursday or Friday doing a preview. Um, thanks for everyone joining the show. I've really enjoyed the feedback we've gotten. Uh, people love these baseball shows. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the feedback from people. Uh, it's cool listening to people, and it's cool watching this grow. Uh, and I appreciate your time every Sunday. Absolutely, man. Sounds good. Have a uh, safe and happy start to you guys' week out there. And Colin and I will have something in the midweek. I'm not sure what it's going to be. And Colin and I will be back at it on Friday.